Welcome to episode 133 of Squared Circle Gazette Radio. I am Liam O'Rourke, alongside Cheech on Chase. Bonjourno. Carl Jones. Yes, I am still alive, just barely. And Kieran O'Rourke. Hello, everybody. And we are back this week for the first of what will be kind of a little bit of a mini-series here. It was tentatively uh, dubbed 2002 by the quarter. Um, looking this week at January to March of 2002. Just to kind of preface this before we kind of get to the usual housekeeping get into the meat of it chase this was something that i know that you were quite uh, interested to do because 2002 is a year that kind of stands out to you in particular and kind of uh when we were kind of bantering around the oaken table one day you kind of talked about the, the need to maybe go into this a little bit deeper and talk about some of the uh, the hot button issues of what was a very interesting year yeah i mean we were bouncing back ideas uh, for different podcasts and uh, i think i kind of mentioned uh uh, something along the lines of uh, like we do with our Monday Night Wars timeline to do something like a timeline for like a year or so <clears throat> because I think there's quite a few examples of some good years and I threw out uh, about three of them to you uh, with this one being I think the best contender because personally myself for better and for worse uh, I think this is hands down the most fascinating year uh, in, in WWF because uh, 2002 is just utter chaos from beginning to end it's just uh it's we're working on the fumes of the attitude era uh and really mean the fumes and also i guess you could probably say the early embers i guess of uh what would become their uh ruthless aggression era because they it like wasn't a real era i know i know you lo- <laughs> I I love, you love those embers. tags dying embers no, yeah what would be the, what would the sparks? sparks there we go sparks <laughs> i need you to correct me on that um the early sparks of uh, uh the ruthless aggression era and um yeah this this year it's, it's just absolutely freaking crazy like you can actually look at this as, as we are actually going to do you can look at this as four quarters and each quarter the company is in a completely different state to the quarter before it but i can't think of another year that has had as many different world champions uh, as this year and I'm not talking about like a championship belt going back and forth between you know one or two people whatever I'm talking about a different champion because you know we have Jericho to Triple H to Hogan to Undertaker to Rock to Brock to Big Show to Kurt and the belt splits too yeah and the belt splits as well and you know we all know that Triple H gets that so that's eight different champions over a 12 month period Sean gets it and Trips gets it yeah 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 Trips on the other side yeah and it's just I can't think of any other year where it's been so indecisive as to who's going to be the face of the company, who's going to lead, you know, with the belts and so on. Even let alone like all the smaller titles that literally get flipped back and forth between shows. It's just absolute chaos. We have like people leaving. We have uh, WCW guys debuting. We have four very key guys that become very pivotal to the company in the next fifteen years debut in uh, in Cena, Batista, Randy Orton, and uh, Brock Lesnar. Yeah, it's kind of like the fever dream fallout is, is kind of why I always think of this kind of period, especially post Survivor Series 2001 when the invasion angle finally dies. And uh, that kind of like few months until the brand extension kind of just feels completely just... It's like a, it's like a, it's kind of a blur. Like boss man comes back for a, 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 a substantial forgot, push I'm, like I'm, right before this year starts. I forgot that. Yeah. It's real... It's like a purgatory year. It's like we've come out of the war and this company's kind of it hasn't got to grips with being having a monopoly and they've played it safe well, I suppose you can say they played it safe with the, if you want to consider financially safe with the the invasion like we'll only take the guys under the cheap deals 
didn't pay for the your flares, Bischoffs, Goldbergs, Hogan's at, at, at that time. So like they did the initial invasion and it was shit. <laughs> and it's like, oh well, okay, well, okay, let's just start firing bullets then because we can do what we want. And they kind of do a lot and do nothing. <laughs> and, and it's yeah, it is interesting. Yeah, we yeah you know, we sort of we've we've come out of the war now. We didn't really have an exit strategy for the war. There's no um, new deal. And there's no new deal. <laughs> and we're in the nation building period and we don't know what the hell to build. And that's where we're at right now. Of course, that's, this is going to be a, a four-parter. As we said, we're going to be talking about January and March, uh, up to March today, the end of March. Um, just again, to get a little bit of housekeeping before we get into the thick of the, the main topics we're going to talk about today. For those of you who haven't heard our podcast before, you can go to the archives at squaredcirclegazette.com, where we archive every show that we've ever done. Uh, and of course, we have done a, a previous show on the invasion itself that we talked about and kind of ran through it that might be a good uh, precursor for this. You want to really dig back in the archives. And of course, to get to some personal housekeeping, I do, of course, want to plug Crazy Like a Fuck the definitive chronicle of Brian Pillman 20 years later because it won an award this past week in the Wrestling Observer Newsletter for Wrestling Book of the Year so thank you very much to everybody including all of you loyal listeners out there who may or may not have voted for the book because uh, I owe you a solid and uh, Steve Austin on your podcast I owe you a solid too so uh, thank you very much but uh, you can of course He's get name that dropping now. I am name dropping He's I am Steve Austin now. started it bro Steve Austin yeah. started it <laughs> Steve Austin wants to pony up and get Liam on the show yes yeah, so thank you very much for that and of course you can get it on Amazon in paperback or Kindle right now. Uh, so moving along, let's talk about the first big thing here, because it was actually something they were building up for quite some time uh, prior to this. Um, it was the return of Triple H at Madison Square Garden uh, on the first week of January on Raw, and I was kind of eager to kind of get your guys' thoughts on kind of your anticipation uh, for Triple H coming back, what your initial thoughts were, then obviously as things progress with Triple H is a top babyface uh, going along. I should also preface this discussion, by the way, by saying as well, we do, of course, have uh, responses and feedback and contributions from the loyal listeners on the key topics of this show, so we'll be getting to those throughout the course of it. But to throw that to the open table first, guys, Triple H's uh, return, what were you thinking when the, uh, the Beautiful Day videos began airing? And you kind of got the sense that he's coming back as a babyface here, and... Obviously, in execution, the actual return was uh, quite spectacular. Yeah, um, I think it's in context of what we've spoke about in the timelines, where especially Triple H, how he's just he doesn't connect as a babyface. The long term of this was what it was; it was always going to be the same. But at the same time, given the nature of the character and, and the length of time he was off, and the way they built as the injury, oh, these you know slightly, slightly heroic in, in defeat and. Mm carried on courageously yeah okay MSG New York crowd all helped that thunderous return as a possible I mean you can't take that away absolutely so you, you get that in the short term yeah you run with it um, so I don't think I don't knock them for trying because the early signs were great but I think it was the old Vince line he should have adhered to himself as you know great pop but let's see if he gets over and I don't, yeah yeah I don't think he ever did and I don't think anyone should be really surprised watching his work for the previous five years that he didn't connect as a, as a top face because he doesn't connect with the fans in that in that sense he never has done and I don't think he ever will do um, it's got to eat at him too <laughs> yeah, he had a great role he had a great position don't take that can't take that away from the guy he got a great pop coming back but it was just a pop it's like a short it was a short term thing it was never he wasn't Steve Austin he wasn't going to move things um, but the trying yeah absolutely fine that's cool but it's a strange period don't you think when you when, when I, especially when you look at this time because Steve Austin had been a heel of that 2001 and it felt like 
after Survivor Series 2001, where the next night it was almost like the uh, the Bobby Ewing out of the shower. Forget that that ever happened. That horrible bullshit that you've been watching for the last little while. Steve Austin's now your top babyface again, and uh, and working with Booker T and, and Boss Man against Vince. And uh, yeah, it was just it was very bizarre because like it, it felt like Austin after being turned heel and and then double downing on him at the invasion that he was kind of cool here. I mean, he was still he was still obviously over like guard. But it wasn't the same, I don't think. I think that he'd kind of he, he'd taken a bit of a hit from the uh, or the, uh, the turning heel and turning back kind of flat. And uh, and Gian, you mentioned this before we started about Rock kind of feeling a little bit kind of similar in terms of just kind of you know the, the guys are. I think it kind of opened the door for Triple H a little bit. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, just uh, I, I kind of remember it being like that at the time, but like watching it back, it's it is quite striking. I mean, and, and we're talking when I'm judging about like Rock and Austin, I'm judging by their own lofty standards. So. You know, so when I say like Austin comes across uh, qu- quite tepid by his own standards in terms of like crowd reactions and so on like that, because what it's just, yeah, the what things picked up, it just feels very like um, my my issue of Austin in this is just like the the what thing was a massive problem for him, and I think like it's just he at times it was very disappointing when watching some of his promos because it's like ah oh, Steve, you like you're better than this because like you're awesome, but like. He felt like a lot of those promos, the what was like a crutch for him, uh, for a lot of them. And in fairness, like I don't completely blame him on that because he kind of realised what he created and he kind of decided, well, I'm going to steer into it rather than try and like fade away from it. So, which is okay, but it just felt like not prime Austin, like he's clutching at straws. And and again, I'm judging this by his own lofty standards. I mean, even like like Austin when he's not on form is still a thousand times better than most people on form, but by his own lofty standards. Austin was really like it just felt really kind of disjointed even more so than when I've mentioned before when I thought Austin felt slightly disjointed in 2000 when he came back uh, you know and you can make a very good argument against my my thoughts on that but I think by this point he's very kind of very off but also with the rock as well like the and not necessarily off with the audience so that does happen uh, eventually during this first quarter uh, he does feel very kind of um uh, just run of the mill at the moment by his own standards. He has a couple of good promos here and there. You know, he does like a good, a good rumble promo, and he does you know the promo with the Charleston with with the coach and so on. He has little good moments here and there, but in general, he just feels like he's coasting a lot. And I kind of like joked with you off air with saying like he's probably still trying to learn his lines for for Scorpion King and so on. And um, yeah, just those two just felt like they were completely coasting, and it felt very uninspired the booking it completely in general but with your main two stars like this particularly coming off the attitude here completely uninspiring and so that as as you said i think it did allow for triple h to come in because uh again like when i was mentioned to you off air it's just i was trying to remember an exact time uh not just moments here and there but an exact run where triple h as a baby face was enjoyable and i really couldn't put one down because i certainly didn't like him when he was in dx both times and I just couldn't remember a good time where I liked him. You know, he's he's a good solid heel when he's not burying people, but I couldn't remember a good babyface run. And so I found this to be very interesting, at least the first month of this, because the pop, as we said, you can't take anything away from him. That pop was incredible uh, to come back for, and they were they were into him uh, for the short term. They were very kind of into him, and particularly during like uh, the Stephanie McMahon angles. Are we able to go into oh, that yeah, right now? Yeah. If we go into the Stephanie McMahon angles and stuff with the divorce. Man, that did get huge pops from the crowd uh, in the early days. I mean, the whole like wedding fiasco, which um, which whilst is incredibly cheesy, watching it back was actually a, a, a quite a, an enjoyable piece of television. 
I thought just like with Triple H knowing that Steph's uh, lied to him about the possible yeah. baby. You know, we had Kurt Angle's promo, which was entertaining uh, with a baby game. And it was just like quite entertaining as they had this this couple sing this absolutely awful ballad and just this look on Triple H's face where you can see yeah yeah, and he does this fake smile you can see he's planning how he's going to fuck her over in like a few minutes time and it's like this is quite enjoyable and like and when he eventually just turns around and says oh I'm going to tell you exactly what I think of you and he sprouts out the line the crowd pops like hell and it's this great moment where like it it cuts to Stephanie's reaction which is obviously like shocked and then immediately this is the money shot it cuts to a shot of Vince and then instantly zooms in on his face as he does this kind of dumbfounded like what the fuck look and it's just like Vince's like face can sell you know a million uh, applause and it's just um yeah, it was just like moments like that when you actually like look back at it. It's like oh, actually for the short term, Triple H's Babyface One was working, but what were the numbers like? Oh well, yeah, I'm sure. Uh, crowd reaction wise, uh, I'm sure the numbers weren't very good at all. But uh, but for the short term, crowd reaction wise, it, it felt pretty solid, but only on the short term. It's, it's the Triple H push in general. It's this is symptomatic of this period those whereas we've come out the, the actual era at the war they've turned Austin you said about Rock there's, they're looking for some they've lost the overarching direction of this company now they're mm. looking, what's going to take us forward what what is our identity going what are we forward because the invasion fell on its ass that's what it's supposed to be that, that's the way they were going to go didn't work so they're looking for something so okay let's try Triple H he's coming back he's got a bit of momentum let's try it but then to me, like what the lessons you've learned on the faces that get over, he's not fucking, he's not rock, so don't let him do. Don't he? He obviously likes doing comedy. He thinks he's funny, but it's not the kind of comedy. It's not the comedy and personality <laughs> that connects as a babyface. He should just been a badass. He got he got that reaction. People want to see him again. Even in that denim jacket, fucking leather people, jacket combo. Yeah. <laughs> people want to see him again. <laughs> <laughs> because he was a badass and he'd have badass matches. And he was presented as he's a heel, but he's still a badass to his detriment, you know, you may say. But then you kind of take that away. And mm. okay, now you do nicey nice. He's t- now he's smart now he's cerebral now he's cute he's, he's he's doing little funny little things with Steph and Vince and it's although you get, you get a little you get a nice little pop a little chuckle in the crowd to present an overall character that's to lead your company as the fucking Don the man don't do that shit yeah I actually want to throw this to you here Carl because uh, just to get your thoughts on this because obviously we talked about Austin who kind of stagnated a little bit after the after turning back babyface Rock uh, to actually to your point when we were talking before about uh, him seeming like he was kind of elsewhere mentally he actually was they, they got him for whatever reason uh, there were Scorpion King reshoots that had to be done yeah. so he was like he basically was never home for this like two month two months of this three month period where every single day he was like either wrestling or filming and like he had like no break he was like mentally just completely exhausted apparently around this time was, was that where he was when um, he disappeared for like three weeks after the end he ended of up doing that whole thing yeah. as well yeah so yeah, and they actually get, that was when they actually gave him time off because they're like oh, alright we're, okay. we're running you. he's been run fucking right we need to give him some time off yeah. so but to your point Carl I you want your opinion on this because uh, Triple H come in as a top baby face with the Rock and Austin there as top baby face at the same time how that fit well but to to just touching on Kieran's point about the, you, you, you know they, they've lost the arc and they're, they're trying to sort of find the way forward now and you know we've sort of touched upon how there was this sort of avenue that was created for them to think 
okay let's go with Triple H because the turn didn't do Austin any favours look at the numbers fans didn't want to boo him really um, Rock they know is not going to be there long term yeah this is that sad yeah. period oh yeah, you, god yeah, he's, he's going he's, away he's been away, he's been away for several months during 2001 you know he's going away again so you can understand why they're not going to pull their, pull all their eggs in the rock basket you throw in Austin's neck as well which is always an issue and the sense that they tried to sort of well in my opinion anyway cool him slightly going through 19, towards the back end of 99 when they're suggesting programmes with a Billy Gunn or a Jeff Jarrett I always, I always got the sense that Vince is thinking we've rode the hot hand and wants to start looking to someone earlier whether or not Austin's still got the, the, the sort of the juice there to, to drive the company he doesn't want to become reliant on an, or, or in his sort of viewpoint overly reliant on an Austin in the way he looked at Brett I always think that was sort of playing in his mind hmm. a bit so that the, the, the sort of the opportunity arises for Triple H to G's point about uh, finding a time where there was an enjoyable Triple H babyface run you won't find one <laughs> you, you won't you won't find one in his early in his DX work that you know the, the, no. the Harbingers were there he, he was never as entertaining as he thinks he was and he was you weren't a fan of the croc then no I wasn't a fan of the croc and if you want to go beyond the current time period we're talking about the 2006 DX reunion never did it for me no. at any point Triple H as a baby face has never worked for me but you now, so, that, so being you said, okay. that being said the crowd in Madison Square Garden are going to react the way they're going to react before he's uttered a word so yes you can try and again sort of ride that hot hand okay the way we've presented the videos the way that we expect this crowd's going to react which is the way they do you try it you know fair enough but the execution of it all Kieran touched on the idea of you know let him just be the badass and not not the sort of what do those elements of comedy and sort of the cerebral nature of it all who really wants who really wants to cheer for the cerebral baby face week in yeah, week out smart anyway. that's it and that's sort of the triple HMO isn't it of his career like, like, he's in he knows that they're trying to you know he knows that Stephanie's trying to swindle him in a sense and he's in on it you know it, it, it's just different from what we'd come to see years later where he's the heel who never sells anything for the baby faces sort of thing so that, that MO's there and at the same time sort of what, what you referenced earlier about him being the baby face when Rock and Austin are there regardless of the Madison Square Garden pop he's always going to be number three <laughs> always going to if be number listening, three if you're listening Paul <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and, and yeah and Austin sort of turned, been turned back. It's sort of the what chance of infuriating thing at the best of times, and even even when they've put Rock in this situ situation where he seems to be spending more time with Trish and Vince on TV and not really doing anything really constructive, but you know, sort of the reheat and the Jericho feud, you, know, you sort of sort of think, no, Triple H is still number three. He's still number three, and, and I, I think what doesn't help him is. You go from that pop, and his f first program, the Rumble is what it is, you build towards them. But yeah. what, what's the first bit? It did a hell of a number, though, the Rumble. You're not the it best did, Rumble fire ever. It did. But what's your story from coming out of the Rumble? It's death. the trials and tribulations of his marriage. 
What fan gives a shit about the baby face's problems with his marriage? No one cares. Exactly. No one cares. Austin Austin refusing to eat the cookies didn't do Austin any favours either. Good as that was. As as entertaining as that was, no one cares about the character's marriage. No. Especially when it then bleeds into your world title picture going forward. Which ties us nicely to Chris Jericho and his struggles with the world championship. And that's the other thing that I find curious about sort of the timing of it all. On one hand, I, I... do understand why you sort of you try the avenue of Triple H babyface, given your concerns with Austin, your belief that Rock's not going to be around long term. And then you sit there and think, well, if you go with Triple H as the babyface, what the fucking hell have you got on that other side? Because you've got Booker T, who's always come off as second rate to anyone who is with the WWF. You brought back <laughs> Bossman. For some reason, and I, <laughs> I, 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 I love the boss man back in the day. I did not want to see him in the year two thousand and one. No, you know, you've got you've got <laughs> Jericho, who's maybe in what I'll call sort of the, the sort of modern era. Your first whiny world champion heel, who is not focused on in any meaningful way, made to look like a champion at any point realistically, and then you've got Kurt, who's had the same Austin problem of heel babyface heel what is he really and he's done a bunch of comedy which as entertaining as it is you know as, as funny as it is and there's always room for for funny in pro wrestling it's not the top of the card so it's it's it's, it's a very messy period um personally going forward was i don't think it was a particularly enjoyable period <laughs> newsworthy as it may be there, there is a lot to dislike about this year, and we'll get into all of it. <laughs> very quick, yes, very quickly. Um, just one more thing in the defence of the of what the, the, why you tried Triple H. We've got to remember he wasn't as the champ as a heel. He was floundering for ages anyway, personalityless, and then it clicked in two thousand. So, given that the character then clicks as the, on the heel side of things, I think it kind of okay. Although the face stuff. He wasn't, you know, going to move numbers previously if that was the, the, the latest reincarnation again. But he has—he's morphed. He's, he's, he's had a run where he's, he's meant something more. So I think it was—I still think it was worth the try. But yes, yeah, the heel side and the makeup of the roster is and, and usage of him was probably yeah, more detrimental. To that point, and and, and yeah, the the invasion angle was was what it was. At the end of the day, no, no, no more, no less. But you know that Triple much less. <laughs> <laughs> but you know Triple H is coming back in January. You run the vignettes far in advance of his return, so you know you're bringing him back as a babyface. So why the hell do you allow your roster composition to be such that you've got the floundering heels on that side? I, I I agree with you, Kieran, and as others have said around the table, you do you try that? You, of course you try it because you know the reaction is going to get coming back for the for the return. So knowing that. You put some thought into the fact of how do we want this roster to balance out then? Because we've got to have a strong keel on the other side. Because we're not turning Austin again, and Rock's not going to be here. And I dare say, even if you did, even if you didn't turn Austin babyface basically the night after the Survivor Series, and he'd been getting cheers before that anyway, who are that crowd going to gravitate towards in a Triple H Austin mm-hmm. scenario, mm-hmm. regardless of what um, what role they're portraying? going to be Steve Austin. Yeah. 
Yeah, just a just a, just a point that uh, that Kieran was making about like you know having a more established heel run that actually worked in his favour and bring them back, uh, as we were kind of like talking about before, uh, when talking about like why uh, they might go with a Triple H babyface run as opposed to bring them back as a heel when as Carl beautifully demonstrated that the heel side of things was very dire, uh, particularly coming off uh, a year in which the the heel side of the company was just atrocious. Um, was as we, we were commenting is that because 2001 was so damaging to especially to Austin it didn't do the rock any favors it, it certainly hurt anyone that was had their name in association with WCW it hurt Kurt Angle through the multiple turns because and yet the the one guy who was magically not there the entire time Triple H he's managed to avoid all this so he doesn't have that stink on him <laughs> which probably kind of warrants why there was so much of a pop there because he was almost like he's fresh out of the wrapper I'm not. I'm not surprised, and I don't blame them for attempting oh, a babyface. Because I, I, I think themselves, with the exception of Triple H, I'm sure Triple H firmly believe that when he comes back as a babyface, he could be number one. But I'm sure I'm, I'm, I'm pretty certain that the company didn't think when they were bringing him back that he was going to be number one babyface all of a sudden. I just think they were thinking like, okay, he hasn't got the stink of what we've just done the last year. Austin still does rock and maybe a little bit. Maybe we to roll a bit of the dice here. Hunter, I'm sure, is very keen. Uh, roll the dice and see what we can do with them. I absolutely think. Well, number one is a tough sell, but they in that bracket they wanted him because, as Carl said, with Austin's neck, he's not long for this world. Um, and Rock, fuck knows, because he's less and less, and that's only going in one direction. They absolutely wanted. It. Yeah. It's territory. You want the guy who's going to be there the whole time. Yeah. He's not going to leave. Yeah. They they wanted. Also, also I was just going to say, no, discreet. I'm absolutely not prepared in any <laughs> way, shape, or form to give the company the benefit of the doubt and say that they thought they'd try knowing that he wouldn't be number one. They absolutely believed that they would pull that off. Yeah, let's move, let's move here to what the loyal listeners think because we're going to get some, uh, a bit of a mixed feedback here. It'd be quite interesting to get to. Uh, Punk Step on the UK fan form says, loved his return as a babyface at the time. I remember thinking it was uh, time that we saw a big Triple H babyface run after the short-lived run from uh, August to September of 2000 when he was eventually booked as a bit of a blue eye against Angle. Uh, thought he looked tremendous and how could you not be in awe of the reaction he got when he returned on Raw? I didn't like the feud with Jericho though. I thought pairing him with Stephanie was shit given their history and they made him out to be a right jump. I thought he was a fantastic babyface before he turned heel in 2001 but didn't rate his heel run at this point. Their Wrestlemania match bored me to tears as well. Uh, C4 on WrestlingForum.com says Triple H's return was cool but it was not organic. He was the number two heel at the time of his injury and he should not have automatically come back as a babyface. His opponent, Chris Jericho, did not simply have the credibility as champion to make their match a dream encounter at Wrestlemania. I hate to say this but the odds need to be more stacked against the gargantuanly muscled Triple H to make their encounter more enticing. Uh, Craig Atkinson on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash scgradio says, I was hugely excited by Triple H's return. Through 2000, he had become my guy, and with Austin as a shit heel and Rock making more movies, I was looking forward to him uh, becoming a top-tier kick-ass babyface with the run that he should have had instead of the two-man power trip. The first night did not disappoint, but anything post-Rumble did. Which is actually quite an interesting point, because... When they were originally, when they did the Austin turn in 2001, the goal was Triple H as a babyface against Austin. So they did have it in their mind for him to be the top babyface at one point, but just didn't get there. Uh, Air Raid on the UK Fan Forum, one of our favourites, says, Going in, I was really excited as, in my mind, Hunter had spent 12 months prior to his injury establishing himself as one of the more reliable uh, providers of exciting main events. And I was ready to be, fuck yeah, Triple H, and cheer for him. 
Unfortunately, instead of keeping Austin heel in prep for his return, or recognising that Kurt was the default top heel, they ran with Jericho for Mania, and the wheels fell off for Hunter. They did a good job reheating Hunter vs Angle as a vehicle to do away with Steph, as a barrier to Hunter getting cheers. I wish if they were insistent on Triple H taking the belt from a heel, they'd gone with Angle. Austin Rock and Hunter on the same side of the fence was doomed to give a lopsided main event scene, so choices were limited. I understand the logic behind Hunter coming back for revenge on the same guy that exacerbated the injury in that match, but they failed woefully to prepare Jericho for that spot. We ended up with a predictable title match where the champion looks out of place, a poor build taking place after a match it couldn't follow, structured in a terribly boring way. Hunter as a babyface was fucked. Uh, Lockjaw on TPWW forum says, I remember being very hyped up. Uh, I totally loved Triple H at the time. I think Raw was preempted that week in Canada for some reason, and I remember asking my dad if he could take me to some bar where they were showing it live somehow, and he was all, ha, no. Piper's Pitts on WrestlingForum.com says, had no interest at all. Triple H was already stale as fuck by that point, and add to that that I knew, like many others, that he was dating the boss's daughter and had influence in booking. I just wanted the guy to go away. This is actually quite interesting, because this is where the uh, Triple H-Stephanie relationship started to kind of rear its ugly head. It had been doing so already, but it's become quite, quite apparent now. Johnny B. Good on the UK fan forum says, I wasn't a fan of Triple H as a main event until after the Rock Iron Man match in 2000, but by the time he got injured in 2001, I was begging to cheer the guy, so I was eagerly anticipating his return at Madison Square Garden. It was obvious he was going to come back as a face, and that his Rumble win would be obvious, but I was looking forward to some fresh matchups on different sides of the face-heel divide. But it quickly became obvious that his extra muscle bulk was restricting his work, and that time had passed in the storyline process, and that Triple H was now on a stacked face side of the roster that still boasted Rock and Austin, which it didn't when he went off injured. So he was really number three at best. <laughs> so there you go, Carl. Uh, and his uh, and his title storyline didn't make sense with Jericho and really derailed him. The only thing it made sense uh, was Triple H tussling with was Angle because of the Stephanie connection and how Kurt had arguably benefited from taking his place as Austin's ally. In hindsight, they should have kept Triple H away from the title scene and had him head up something else, in my opinion. Uh, Tiger Rick on the UK fan forum says, I was ready for it on his return. I hadn't been in love with Austin since his comeback in 2000, and I was rarely a rock guy. I'd missed trips during the invasion angle, and definitely after Survivor Series when things are a crock of shite. Maybe just me, but I wasn't up for undisputed champ Chris Jericho at that point. The return itself and the Rumble win were fine. The problem was Jericho wasn't on his level, and their attempts to add drama to that feud killed it. Lucy the fucking dog for crying out loud. Trips was dead by Mania, deader after trying to follow Rock and Hogan, and literally dead when they dropped the title immediately. Uh, dastardly Dale Newstead on TPWW forums. Yeah, newly engaged, and congratulations, by the way. Uh, the initial comeback was fan-fucking-tastic. The workout montages, the ovation for the actual return. Even Triple H coming back as a walking steroid was amazing. He was fucking huge, wasn't he, when he, he came was back? And he was slower. He was noticeably slow in those first matches. But, uh, yeah, Jesus Christ, when he takes his shirt off in that angle. Oof. But, Dale says, then it turned into a WWE production. The breakup with Steph was horrendous. The Jericho storyline was embarrassing for both of them. As time has gone on, it seems a lot of this is more Vince and Steph's fault than Triple H, though. While the guy loved to put himself over, I think it's fair to think he would have preferred to have gone over in a compelling storyline. Yeah, he passed the heat onto Jericho for the dog shit main events, but if Hunter had it his way, the storyline would have been more about the belt than the custody of a canine. So, uh, there's, uh, yeah, there's some, some more points we'll get to there, but interesting that uh, some of the, the common things that come up is that number three perception, which at the time I, I wasn't so strong on because, like you said, I thought that it was quite clear that Triple H's comeback story is going to be the big story. But the other thing that comes up quite frequently there is Jericho being weak as champion, and this is the next kind of big topic that I want to touch on, is after it feeling for so long like the world title was, you know, the Austins, the Rocks, the, even the Triple H's, the 
the top person on either side of the fence. This really was the point when Jericho gets it, where it's like, oh, they're just... I don't know, looking back, I don't know, is it Jericho, is it the push, is it both? What is it to you? Um, I certainly don't think the push does him any favours. I mean, look at... Before you get to the, the, the turn of the year, look, look at his road to getting that belt. In, in the October, you've got the constant references to him being a choke artist on TV. Yeah. Because he can never win the big one. Well, that doesn't give you a great perception in the first place, does it? Then he, fi- <laughs> then he, then he finally does beat Rock. It involves some Steph botched interference type stuff, but he wins. He then loses about three weeks later. So, okay, right, this isn't the coronation of him. Then turns heel. For some reason, goes to cost his own company a match because of his ego, which makes all the sense in the world. <laughs> which is anything else that happened during that time. And let's be honest, by the time you're going into Vengeance, is anyone expecting anything other than Austin Rock to close out the show? Maybe, mm. maybe it's naivety on my part, but I sure as shit... The one thing I'd have staked my life on was Jericho not winning. Mm. So he, he wins that. <laughs> <laughs> Surprisingly. I wish you were their commentary team, then, Joel. <laughs> then, okay, then we get to the turn of the year, you get to the Rumble. Yes, he gets the win over the Rock, but what's the build-up up to then? He's not worthy. He's being looked past. He's a he ref- he references it himself in his promos, mm. which doesn't help. Yeah. And how does he win? He gets like, it might be like the ultimate gets, cheap it's, finish. It's a low blow. An eye rake. An eye rake. Hit into the head exposed into the turnbuckle. turnbuckle. Roll up, handful of tights, feet on the ropes. <laughs> like, this is the thing, like, if, if the whole idea was he was going to headline WrestleMania, they couldn't get away with the chicken shit finishes. No, he, he had to be beating people clean. Yeah. Or, or at least with sort of, you know, a minimal. Then you get to No Way Out. Beats Austin. <laughs> Does he beat him clean? That's on a postcard? Does he bollocks? <laughs> Does he bollocks? <laughs> then you've got the Mania build, which as we've touched upon there, is not about Jericho. It's about Stephanie, Triple H, Divorce, a dead dog, dog poo. Stephanie's skin condition. Don't forget the dog poo they had to pick up. The dog shit. Um, the car cut in half. Yeah. Yeah. And that was quite funny, actually. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Just to, just to add. WrestleMania, few- baby! <laughs> Just to add a few like extra details into that uh, beautiful timeline that uh, Carl uh, deconstructed for us, uh, in, I'm I'm actually amazed that because uh, I was actually wondering if anyone else was going to remember the fact that Jericho does beat The Rock in uh, in uh, No Mercy, uh, the October before. Because I think the issue was is uh, obviously they they tried to whilst doing obviously this piss poor booking of him constantly have him referred to and still to this day they beat Rock and Austin in the same night and then he beats them both individually again on the following two pay per views. But I think my issue with, uh, I think part of the problem, not just what Carl uh, said there, which was that they mentioned him being a choke artist before they go into it, but it was also just his general positioning during the the invasion angle. And it's because, uh, no way, and you're absolutely right, I think not just, the perception of that Vengeance show wasn't just like, oh, it might be Rock Austin. They were pretty much flat out telling you it was going to be Rock Austin at the end. And that's where the whole Jericho thing was supposed to be, the, the you know, pulling the rug away. But the thing that kind of got me was it was if they had the foresight, which obviously they did not, um, to actually like plan this ahead, then having Jericho be not the number one babyface, not number two babyface on the WWF side during Invasion, but the third, okay? Because Rock, Ooh, because I, Rock. If I can just jump in quickly yep. there, I I would 
I would say there is a case to be argued that Jericho four. is number four behind Undertaker. Yeah, okay, fair, fair enough. Bearing in mind, be bearing in mind, if we want to go back even further, get to yeah. August and yeah. SummerSlam, what's the build to his match with Rhino? Rhino's beat him five times. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It's it's a if 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 if, if, we, if we if we if we are if we are incredibly generous and we say third at best, but a, a very good case for fourth, right? So I mean, if if they had the foresight, you know, and they actually did something where like maybe he was the guy that defected to WW uh, to WCW instead of Austin or maybe even the Kurt Angle or whatever, maybe that might have done a little bit more to maybe put him in the line. But because he was so far down the pecking order. During for like months at a time, where he is like wrestling the likes of Rhino, and he's not involved in the major feuds Losing until yeah, until they decide like oh may, oh we could do something with him and uh, we could do something with him Lost and Rock. Van Dam multiple times <laughs> yeah, before uh, winning the title off the Rock. But you know, uh, if it wasn't for like oh you know we can maybe do something with him and Rock in October, I think like that long stretch as well as the bullshit stuff about oh he's a choke artist did him no favors at all. So that when they did it and they turned around and said oh yeah we're going to pull the rug on you because you never expected that and it's like yeah. We never did, and it's absolutely awful. And and you and you and as as I mentioned before, Carl beautifully uh, pinpoints all the major moments from from the uh, from the pay per views. But also during the show, guys, let's not just forget on the every like Raw and SmackDown, he is not in the central angles on any of the shows. He's not in the main event of any of the shows. He's a lot of the time he's just in a random tag match where he's inserted with the Undertaker against Rob Van Dam and edge or whatever he's just randomly inserted in there at a time because the main events are being taken up by Triple H's return Austin doing some sort of what you know promo uh, The Rock dealing with whatever Ric Flair and, and uh, Vince McMahon going back and forth the NWO coming in everything else is having the main event push or the main angles or the main promo sections and Jericho's just there yeah. he's just there it's not just the shows themselves which have the terrible things but it's also just the actual like television shows as well and all that stuff about him cheating to get out that's all happening there as well and this is like where, where all the dog angle comes in and, and the freaking uh, all that stuff with, with Steph it's just absolutely putrid and then you get right down to that that angle which and I, I don't feel like I, I'm not, not burying the rock because he's beautiful but that freaking promo uh, like what well, everything on the lead up to the promo is absolutely awful like they spend literally an hour of one of the roars or smackdowns uh, basically, everyone's coming up to The Rock and saying that they're going to win the Royal Rumble. They do it with Austin, they do it with Undertaker, they do it with Kurt Angle, and they do it with Triple H. They all come up to The Rock and say, when you win the match, when you win, <laughs> when, when you get your title back, and I win the Rumble, we're going to face off at WrestleMania. And like Jericho acknowledges it in the promo of The Rock, saying like everybody has asked you what they're going to do when they fight you at WrestleMania. Not once have they considered that I might win. And he actually verbalizes it in the whiniest fucking way ever. Not in a kind of like maybe a more confident way saying like, well, more for all you fuckers. You know, but like genuinely whining like a little girl that, you know, nobody's noticing it. Can't he say actually, that anymore. He, he actually, <laughs> he's actually pinpointing it for the audience that he himself acknowledges that no one else thinks he's worthy of the top guy. It's an absolutely putrid run. It's the worst, I think, I, I'll, I'll safely say for myself, the worst period in Jericho's career, I think, of anything. And that includes some of the WCW shit. It was just completely underwhelming. It was poorly thought out in terms of like the build, because there was no build. It was poorly executed on the night. Let's, let's, get, let's move past the whole idea of, like, oh, he beat Austin Rock. The pay-per-view is a shower shite. It goes on to even further onto the following two shows in like two matches that, even though they involve The Rock and Austin, were completely fucking forgettable. 
and then they decide to have him walk a dog you know it's just it's just absolutely like one of the like worst kind of bookings of a champion on the build up to a mania WrestleMania, to yeah. Wrestlemania that's the thing not like to SummerSlam or anything else to Wrestlemania that's how they built their champion you say like the run but I look at it and it's to me Jericho is in the same position he's been in since he debuted in 99 well, he's, he's basically probably climbed the ladder back to that position of not yet a legit main eventer Mm. and he's uh, had to come over like debacles like China which I would say is more embarrassing for his career that's uh, true um, <laughs> I agree with that he was this guy who's he was not in he was like a modern day champion he's a pseudo up and mid carder who's a pseudo main eventer who's actually an up and mid carder or a mid carder getting cycled in and out of feuds and never the stock put behind him because they never saw him as a, as a tippy-top guy anyway. He wasn't a special attraction, so they're not going to put the stock behind him. We're not going to build him because he, he's going to lose anyway. Uh, it doesn't matter. Trips is the draw. It, but Jericho in general, it was, he was... When he won the Undisputed title, he was like, finally, finally he's going to be the main eventer. He fucking wasn't a main eventer. Yeah. He was never presented as a main eventer. He never has been. He's never been presented as a main eventer. And that might be... say to, You look at... The, as a heel, you look at him versus Triple H and it's ridiculous anyway. Triple yeah. H is going to beat the shit out of him. Triple H returning, someone said it, Triple H returning needed, he needed a, a, a modern day Brock Lesnar, the fucking beast who this, oh shit, this, okay, but the cerebral assassin, this badass who we fucking hate for a year, who had these awesome matches, he's returning, shit, this might be awesome, I'll get behind this. That, maybe then, he would have, he, he would have meant something more as, as a face just because of the feud and, and the booking, but it's just, Jericho for him was quintessential short-term mid-card champion who was never they never intended to elevate as a main eventer ever one thing that I think is kind of interesting around this time with the kind of the mishmash of the guys and like you say there G about how uh, Jericho was like in the middle and not necessarily the featured act in, at any point because you've all this other stuff going on it feels to me very reminiscent of like the early 1999 period of WCW that we've been talking about in the timeline where you got so many guys who you got a lot of stars but no direction for any of them. And, and it was only going to feel more like WCW when they brought in the NWO, uh, which was a, a big story, obviously, that we're going to be talking about here. Again, just another massive like panic fire move is what it felt like to me. Um, originally, they were negotiating with Nash in December to come in on his own. So that, that was where this was originally going to be. They, they negotiated with Hall in 2001 in May um, to, to come in pre-invasion, and that fell through when they realised that he was... Not, in, not, in not too good a shape um, no, uh, negotiations with Sean started around the same time and the idea originally was they were going to have Nash and Sean involved with trips in some kind of group or working for or against him or whatever so there was going to be some kind of click involvement here I'm sure that I'd made all of you uh, happy listening um, anyway so they changed their minds they start negotiating with Hall and Hogan um, Nash lobbied to bring them all in as complete outsiders. Of course, that's not how it ended up panning out. They ended up being brought in by Vince uh, in the midst of the uh, the ongoing Vince and Flair storyline when Flair beats him at the Royal Rumble. Mm-hmm. The I just I just remember thinking at the time, I can't believe that Hogan's coming back. Yeah. That was that was the shock. You sit there. I remember someone. It might have been it might have been yourself, Liam. Because because I hadn't I hadn't read about it, so I, I was a little bit out of the loop. And they said they're bringing back uh, Hogan. No, yeah, yeah, they're bringing back Hogan. They're bringing back Hall, and they're bringing back the bring them all back. 
Bloody hell. Oh, and they're bringing them back as the NWO. Oh, they wouldn't do that, would they? Lo and behold, they do. And the build to that is tremendous as well, I must say. Okay. The, the build and the execution for that one night is brilliant. What genius it must have taken to build to this show by having Vince say he wants to kill his own company. So forget everything that happened last year with the, with the invasion. <laughs> yeah, just toss it aside. Vince wants to kill it himself now anyway. Because Flair's got it now. Flair's the got NWA it. guy is yeah. here and he's got his yeah. company. He could have had it killed five months earlier and for probably less of the cost, but okay. Vince is going to kill it. He's going to bring back the NWO. Then you have weeks of everyone pissing and moaning on TV. They killed WCW. What are we going to do? What, what are we doing bringing them in? Well, doesn't that sound like a product you want to watch? Doesn't that sound like something you want to invest your time and money in? But it's okay, because we get to No Way Out. Yeah. No Way Out? Mm-hmm. out they stroll. Sauntering. Sauntering out. It was, it was almost, it was almost as, as pathetic as Starcade 97, where Sting just sort of wanders out. Having come down from the ceiling for about 18 months, he just wanders out. Well, here's Hogan. Here's Hall and here's Nash. In black and white in TV, black and by the way. Black and white TV. Hilarious. I like the entrance at the time, but in, in, in no, looking back, it's quite grand irony. So no, they all just saunter out. Well, they're here to kill the company. The baby faces have said they're not going to let them kill the company. So where are the baby faces? No, no, we've got to let them get their 15 minute promo and start the pay per view first. Mm. You know, we've got to let them get their speech in. Then we can do something. But let's focus on the speech um, a little and bit. And what does that speech involve? <laughs> yes. This menacing group that are coming to destroy the company. They glom for the crowd. It's like 96 all over again. Scott Hall says, we're Scott just Hall, a bunch of marks. We're just a bunch of marks. They make a joke about Scott Hall's drinking habits. <laughs> Maybe we can share a beer. Jesus Christ, doesn't it just chill you to the bone? <laughs> You'll be way too harsh. They showed some resolve. Scott Hall did not do the survey. Okay, they showed some resolve, guys. You've been way too harsh on this. I did pop when Hogan said, God bless America. And he was like, Jesus oh, Christ. Fucking so, so, this is the deal. I, I, I didn't like. Cause I, you know, I have, uh, you know, memories of reading the results of SmackDown Online of the episode when Vince is doing the promo in the mirror and says he's going to inject the comedian lethal dose of poison and swing around on his chair and on the back it's got the end of your logo and thinking that's how they're going to fucking bring him in that's I'm, Vince I'm, is going to a chair fucking chair I was looking at it saying, where can we stick the logo boys oh, f- oh where have we got really <laughs> on your sandwich or the back of your chair Vince <laughs> let's they go for the chair yeah <laughs> let's on the back of the chair now I did like I will say there's a couple of things in this build I did like which was Flair just begging for Christ's sake don't bring them in which I just thought was quite mm. funny <laughs> but for, for real life and kayfabe purposes yeah. um the the great he was, having, he was having flashbacks to the desert <laughs> he was he was and uh he just emptied his shoe like the sand comes out <laughs> yeah. of it don't do it Vince yeah that's a great idea <laughs> but uh yeah and, and the, 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 yeah, this is where they bring in the, the yeah, when Vince and Flair's trying to convince him not to and airs the great Lonely Road of Faith video for the first time says no this is what you'd be killing if you bring these fuckers in and somebody knocked a... up on uh, on his laptop at home <laughs> yeah. which also incidentally the music is not on the network oh well there you go oh well 
How? Whoa, how can that be possible? I know it, it doesn't have the same song, and believe me, when you watch that back, it completely loses its effect. Well, of course, it it yeah. <laughs> one less opportunity to hear Kid Rock. Well, that breaks my heart. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, Carl. You're getting to hear that speech firsthand. I'm sure uh, in April. Oh, sh- don't. Yeah. So anyway. We go from there to the great point where Vince is trying to get Flair to give up the company. Flair's going to give up the company back to Vince to avoid the NWO company. Then he just changes his mind and punches him, puts him in the figure four. Steve Austin convinces him. him. Yeah. And then they do the thing on Raw where Vince says, no one's going to stop the fact that these men are coming. And like for a few weeks, the NWO is like this phantom menace where they hadn't said who it was going to be. It's like, oh Christ, the NWO, that sounds serious. (laughs) For for people who haven't watched WCW. And then they say, these men are coming. And it's like Hogan or Nash on the video wall. And Nash doing the fucking bicep poses. It's fucking fantastic. Pointing to his vein on his arm. It's like, oh, you know what? Fucking goddammit, Kevin Nash. <laughs> I, can't, I hate you, but you're fucking funny sometimes. <laughs> God damn it. But anyway, so the point of all this is, yes, I had such high expectations in some way, because it's like, well, the WWF surely can't fuck this invasion up, can they? It's They've the just next, failed once. It's the next golden carrot. Yes. The invasion. We were fucking, uh, as a partisan WWF fan at the time, fuck WCW, they defended me so much. The product was shit. Let's see what Vince can do. This could be something. This is going to be revolutionary. Two two brands under 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 one roof. This is you know this is going to be a completely different uh, direction for the future of wrestling. Let's see what happens. Oh well, that was shit. Uh, <laughs> that was an interesting four months. Yeah. Oh, but okay. Next up, we've got the NWO. We've already had Flair. Uh, it's time for the NWO. Why? This has got to be. This is good. This is going to be groundbreaking. Who's going? Is is there? Will there be an angle the first night in? Uh, will will you know, will someone join? Will someone switch? Jump over? It is. You know, it, it might not agree with it, but it'll be different. It'll be interesting. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I was totally expecting that. No way. I was like, okay, somewhere on this show, fucking hell's going to break loose. It's going to be this crazy scene. That yeah, it's everyone's going to. It's going to be like those the beatdowns of the horsemen, the Dungeon of Doom in '96 all over again. That's what I was expecting. And from to just cut that promo, it's like. I know what they're going for, but that is just so crap. And that fucking rock, like, verbally eviscerating their debut. But yeah. <laughs> he's just like, hey, you, Chico. <laughs> Razor remote. Big Daddy, cool. Yeah. This one. Then, yeah, give it to Hogan yeah, yeah. with the camera. And, yeah, they beat up Austin. It's like, they're just three random new top heels. There's nothing special about them. Now, of course, the next night on Raw, they do the great angle with Rock and Hogan we talked about on the, uh, the Raw 25 show, which was just fantastic. And at that point, it was like, man... This uh, and, and that was when they did the great beatdown, which did feel like 1996 mm. WC when they beat the shit out of the Rock with the hammer and the the leg drop and the everyone doing the finishes and all that stuff, and that felt special. The crowd was into Hogan and Rock. Would this have worked? Oh, this is going to be controversial. Would it had more chance of working if the NWO had more members? Primarily, <laughs> a couple of guys who can work. Yeah, and so you're not yeah. so yeah. You're not, there's no pressure on Nash, Hogan, or Hall to do in-ring mm. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Fucking, they never even have them in the building if you can to so do a couple of videos yeah. or maybe just the entrance video. But some legs, I'm not sure what numbers yeah. you'd have. Mm. Would you bring them all in? Would you? You brought the, you brought the three in. Mm. Yeah, so okay, they were going to bring an X pack um, mm. earlier to actually be part of it for that reason. But uh, I think uh, Vince himself shot it down at first, saying that he didn't want X pack in there because it was like. They're just the top, mm. you know, the top three heels. All of a sudden, like Xbox yeah. But the trouble is, is, in you got three heels outsiders who play cool heels, and there's only three of them, and they're, they're going to take over a company when the whole company's after them. 
So the odds are against the bad guys. And they just didn't even do anything. Even well, they don't do anything anyway. They didn't do but... anything that villainous at all. And yeah. what really <laughs> fucked this was, I thought, I remember that this was the moment when I realised, oh, this is fucked. Because even though the, end of, the, the, the No Way Out debut was underwhelming, yeah. the angle with Rock was great, I thought. You know, even the, the, the fucking ridiculous ambulance and the, 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 the 18-wheeler and Hulk Hogan crotch-chopping afterwards, which no one needs mm-hmm. to see. I thought the angle on SmackDown the week at the, the, the like the, that week when Steve Austin is doing the Keystone Cops bullshit with Scott Hall chasing around the building and get, he kidnaps Scott Hall and beats the shit out of him. Uh, yeah, and then eventually, like I think the week after that, he shoots him with a giant net gun or something like that. And it's like that oh. actually made me laugh. I, so, yes, yeah, that's what you want at the end of your. Own. <laughs> that actually made me laugh. The laugh is just completely. I, you, it's it's like they're just the next heels. <laughs> they're no, they're nothing special. There is no threat. There, there is no impending danger. They are not poison. They're just it. shit heels. Sorry, well, that's it. It's just like in in. Not like Jericho, but similar to the Jericho situation. Is this is this the, the, the Vince Weaver and the company's babyface centric that you they come in? If you're bringing them in, you've got to do something big with them. They've got to take over for a little a period of time. They've got to run havoc. They've got to kick the shit out of some faces. They've got to they've got to run they've got to run things for a while. Things need to change, and but we don't want to do that because we know it's the wrong thing to do. But so we'll just bring it in for a little while, and then we'll just kind of. Turn the turn the wheels and uh, yeah, then we'll, we'll see what happens. But yeah, there's sort of the sense of we, we we don't really believe in this, but we're turning to this because our ideas aren't working at the moment. Mm-hmm. So here's a sort of a glorified placeholder in a sense. Um, you're right in what you say, Liam, in that you, know, you don't want funny from the NWO, and it shouldn't have been the Keystone Cops um, motif and all that sort of thing. But I think by this stage, this is just not from a business perspective, just strictly the sort of the, the personal viewpoint. I had absolutely zero interest in seeing them. So to just have Austin bury them on one show, just I kind of enjoyed. I'll be honest. It's short-sighted, narrow-minded, but yeah, fuck it. I didn't want to see Hogan National Hall anyway, so fine. Make them make them look like a bunch of fucking idiots. Because I'm not. Even at that point, I'm sort of thinking, I'm not looking forward to WrestleMania. Even even outside of Rock, oh, you take that out of the equation. You look at the the way they're building the rest of the show, oh, we'll and you just think there is nothing here I care about one jot. <laughs> when uh, when this, when it was like first announced that doing the NWO, uh, I was incredibly excited by it. Um, after my initial thought of just like now you do it now after the evasion angle you don't do it journey that you know it's my failure to I, understand the the workings of the business at that point and maybe Liam can correct me on this actually but I always just assumed that was a, a the time warner contract related yeah. issue yeah oh yeah yeah but I, I'm just saying like I, I I didn't know about all that stuff so I just my first initial question was why do it now Hogan was and, free and clear but Nash yeah. wasn't and and also just oh, like fine. also <laughs> why do it after Rumble like oh Rumble could have been a good Rumble could have been a good time to introduce them you know uh, so just after that initial confusion as to why just right now I was generally excited because similar to what like Kieran was saying it was just like okay uh, whilst I didn't watch WCW, I knew how much WCW fucked that angle over, and it's like, oh, okay, surely Vince can't fuck this up either. Surely Vince is going to make this freaking golden. Um, and I didn't, I didn't remember really the build uh, first time round. Uh, with, with the only thing I remember is the, the chair with the tipex on it, uh, and just the general ramblings of like, what's going on here. Uh, but watching it back, that whole period of time leading up to when they come out and no way out. 
it's just absolutely completely underwhelming and awful like you get this get that as we've already joked a, a completely lame you know startup point with the chair you just get like a couple of people turn around saying no, I don't do that. Oh. Like Rick Skellick. No, I don't do that. And then you get like a backstage skit with Arn Anderson talking to the fucking Stooges of all people, just going like, "Oh no, we don't want them there." They don't really go around talking to maybe Booker T or DDP or you know, uh, or, 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 or or you know the Giant, you know, or Kurt Henning, you know, people who have actually been in the the, the thing and talk about like what, what's going on. I for one, just something that you commented about, the saying like, "Oh, you know, the mystery." Like they played it off as a mystery. It wasn't a mystery to me at the time. I knew which way it was. I was not expecting Virgil and Scott Norton to turn <laughs> up on that screen. I knew it was going to be three guys and only three guys. And uh, and even then, like when he turns around and just reveals them on the Titantron, it's like completely outside of you know Nash, you know poking at his peck or his uh, bicep, whatever, it was completely underwhelming. And so it's like okay, but still genuine excitement because it's like okay, Hogan. Mm, Nash, I, I I quite quite like you know at times, and then I was still like even though he's seen much better days, I'm still a Razor Ramon fan at heart. So so we get to No Way Out. I'm just thinking, right, I'm gonna have to stay up all night. I'm gonna have to stay up all night because it's gonna be the main event. It's gonna be they're gonna come out in the main event. Instantly they come out straight away, and it's like oh that's good. I can go to bed early. Just do the most glory hogging self self you know patting on the back kind of promo you can get from these three obvious guys and it's like completely lame hated the presentation I hated the black and white video stuff with an absolute passion still to this day and just being completely underwhelmed by that by that start in introduction thinking right this isn't a good start and then we then get to the raw okay and they freaking nail it and then like so all of a sudden like Vince Russo suddenly was hired they fucking screw it up straight away so they do Hogan's promo. He's, he's already laying the foundations for his babyface run. And he does the whole thing with the stare down with the rock. I watch that back now and I look back at it now when we were doing the judging the best Raw moments. I was like, ah, shit, actually, this is pretty fucking awesome. And then at the time when they do the whole beatdown, which comes out like out of nowhere, because you're thinking like, oh, okay, time to go to commercial now. Rock's going to the back. That whole angle was great. And I remember popping, I popped like hell for the leg drop. I popped like hell for the jackknife. Practically lost my shit over the razor's edge just because one... For two reasons, two, yeah, two, two reasons why. One, I was trying to remember the last time he actually hit that move because I think it was quite quite a while because he was obviously in no condition uh, to do it when he was in WCW. And two, I was generally actually interested to see whether you could still hit it or not because like, what condition is Scott Hall in? And he absolutely nails it. And I remember just popping like mad for it, just thinking, this is beautiful. It's actually like very kind of reminiscent of what they did in WCW, but it has the WWF clean on it. He goes, I'm not going to fuck this up. It's absolutely fine. We go to commercial. Good job. Well done. Vince Russo gets hired all of a sudden, and we then decide that they're going to do another angle now where they're going to put him in the ambulance and they're going to run him over. And I remember having problems with this at the time, not for the same reasons I'm about to describe, but just having problems with it going, that was too much. Because, you know, there's always this thing where, like, when you have someone, you like try to murder someone in a wrestling show, just like, well, that's quite immersion breaking, really, because we know, really, they're not. They shouldn't really be trying to kill someone. Was in a shower. Yeah, <laughs> not Puerto Rican. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and all this stuff. But watching it back, and this was my part where I just like where to turn around and said like some someone went very kind of rusa all of a sudden. Was just they do this angle where they blatantly do, you know, Grand Theft Auto. They fucking like run the guy down in a freaking ambulance. You know, they 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 attack the ambulance. All this stuff. 
there were no police anywhere at all. And this is where I'm not, I'm not going to get into a whole massive have discussion. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten um, what the police do when they come face to face with Hulk Hogan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you did not do the timeline. Yeah, you yeah, did, yeah, did you not yeah, do the timeline? Yeah, yeah. okay. This is, uh, this is uh, because and I'm not going to get a whole. I'm not going to get into a whole discussion of wrestling and the whole uh, you know crime and punishment and law and order and like all that stuff in there. Because we can go over in the whole Austin direction when he got run over and all that stuff, and all like when they actually do decide to bring the force in, and when they turn around and magically, there's no law in the world of professional wrestling whatsoever. But I've never seen a more worse example of this than in this one show. And the reason why, he runs him over. There were no police at all. Yet, nearly, less than an hour earlier, Austin gets arrested <laughs> for striking an off-duty cop. Well, that's why they're not yeah. there. Well, yeah, this is yeah, yeah, take, it takes no, twelve that, police officers. Yeah, team, yeah, team yeah that's, team that, that, that's those. Those are the off-duty cops that take him away. So he Austin gets arrested for slapping an off-duty cop. He gets escorted by five, six, seven, maybe more. If you're sure, Michaels, it might be twenty. Mm -hmm. Right? He gets escorted by completely loads, loads, loads of uh, <laughs> lo loads of different like uh, you know off-duty cops. Okay. Someone gets an almost attempted murdered, right? No one at all. <laughs> In the same show, an hour apart. Absolutely, I just I, that wasn't the reason at the time why I hated it. But when I was watching it back, I was just like, "Fuck me! How did that get past?" Because like, did Vince Russo just suddenly pop in and go, "Hey guys, uh, pitch an idea. Uh, have someone run over someone. <laughs> see, you, see, see you later, guys. You know, I saved that one. I was going to do it at Bash of the Beach. You know, it's just like it's just absolutely like mind boggling. So how did that's that's when I got worried because it's like, man, you had this perfect little angle. It was absolutely beautiful. You executed it well, and then you just Vince, you just had to tweak it. You just had to make it like, you couldn't just do what WCW did, you just had to make it yours and do something a little bit extra. And that's when I started to like, uh, okay, this isn't going to be good. Well, you gave it 24 hours more than I did in fairness. Well, don't do it. But scratch yeah. it, his would have been better, his would have yeah. made more sense. Don't do it. Because we've already, <laughs> if you're going to do it, we've already seen Chris Jericho has no regard for the company, he's willing to piss that away in November. Have him promise to bring someone in. Everyone in the company's overlooked him. They don't appreciate him. Mm. So why the hell should he care about the company? As long as he's got the belt, as long as he's got the strap, what does he give a shit? Mm. You're all belittling me. You're all making fun of me. You're through the day. Yeah, yeah. I'll promise a big surprise at no way. You don't have to say it. Just promise a surprise if you're worried about the mm. buy rate. Then have him appear. You can quickly go from a scenario where Jericho can't control him because why the fuck do they give, give a shit at the end of the day about yeah, what Jericho does? Sure. Yeah. No, exactly. Nash is my It's a bit of an image. We got a nice pay out of him. Did they have? Yeah. like Nash, like, and his, like. So, actually, this is actually something that's actually worth talking about is no one actually wanted these guys back. Like, the wrestlers didn't want them back at all. Oh, Austin, yeah. Austin was like, no. I don't want to work with these fucking guys. I don't want to bring you bring these guys back. Well, no, no, well, no, no. We, no. We, can, we can touch on that with, uh, with WrestleMania again. Well, we? yeah, because what ends up happening is we have. First of all, we have. Scott Hall on his first night in the company before he even gets there's the famous story where he gets wanked at the bar on his first his first day back. You're celebrating being back. <laughs> is that no way out or wrong? No, this is before. This is before oh, both. Before, two weeks. Day. Two weeks before, he, uh, they they met up with a bunch of the wrestlers at the bar and I guess he'd gone to Bubba Ray Dudley. Well, he was drunk and said, "Hey, man, I love your finish. Can't wait to kick out of it." And just, you know, <laughs> just, just being an obnoxious prick. That's just funny. Yeah, Kevin Nash. Yeah, Kevin man. Nash goes up to Jericho, and this is when Jericho's got the red in his hair. He's like, "Hey, Jericho, nice tie job." To which Jericho, in his book, says that he, he responded with, uh, "Well, some of us dye our hair red when it's blonde, and some of us dye our hair blonde when it's grey." To Nash in response, because he'd uh, he was looking quite old around. Why this did time. you just say you two? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Much more succinct. Yeah, it's a very long way of going back. To yeah. Well, he's trying to get the one up of a big cab. No, so. props for him to think of that that quickly. Yeah. I'd probably just glassed him. <laughs> <laughs> so, of course. Oh, yeah, Austin especially does not want to work with Scott Hall specifically well, again, and then some correct, correct, way... me, correct me if I'm wrong because for all we can talk about the stare down with Rock and Hogan being good an idea mm. if I'm not mistaken Vince's original idea was Austin Hogan yes yeah. it was never to do Hogan Rock or at least not initially and Austin was like I don't think so uh, no <laughs> no because I know the way this is going to go with fucking Hogan and I have a good throat unlike Pillman I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll throw, throw this out there just to see what you guys think let's just say Austin did want to work with Hogan and taking away the fact that obviously those two names going up against each other is massive business but a match quality wise do you think that would have been any better than, than Hogan Rock? No. no I think it would have probably been about the same might have been a bit worse I thought Hogan was able to I don't I really don't I really in the grand scheme of things I really don't think it matters because it, it's still going to be a smoke and mirror job anyway because mm. it has to be because it's Hogan and the crowd would have eaten it up anyway yeah yeah. do so, you think it would have been like sorry but do, do you think it would have been as uh, because obviously Rock got kind of like slightly eaten alive a boot a lot uh, I'd probably predict him would, that, answer, split would, would, would that split have happened at all with no, Austin because it's, I've always doubted that myself if Steve Austin was Got to think about that crowd used to react and flip mm. with Rock when he was getting too popular. People mm. would flip t- turn him all the time. Um, if Steve Austin was motivated to do it with Hulk Hogan, mm. Steve Austin would have taught Hulk Hogan a new arsehole on the microphone for two months solid, and he would have been fucking as probably as hot as he'd ever been. Yeah, because he would have been so. It would have been so. It would have been edgy as fuck. He would. He would have been fantastic. I think that's a shame because yeah, yeah, you can't cause... you can't you can't do the face to face side to side look because that's not Steve Austin because Steve, Steve Austin, Austin yeah. just punches yeah, yeah ego and it's that's that's the point yeah. Steve Austin's ego wouldn't allow him to do that anyway mm. but if it was if he'd just done that match and he was motivated and it was all and it was all it was if it was for Steve Austin and if you're Vince McMahon you're bringing Hogan it's gonna be short term deal so it should be all about Steve Austin in theory. I think he would have been so up for it if if he was obviously if he wanted to he would have been motivated if he was motivated he would been fiery it would have been these aggressive promos where kind of take me back to the old ECW stuff he would have, I think he would have been fucking phenomenal and he would have been they would have been totally I think yeah it's it's, it's worth thinking about about that that because Austin was going through a lull here where it's like this actually may have been the thing to reinvigorate funnily enough even though he shot it down and he didn't want to work with Hogan they they pitched Hall uh, he said no at first because he didn't want to do that either. And they just basically said, "Look, you got to work with Hall because we're what, yeah, we're going to do the NWO deal." They asked him to think, start thinking about ideas to do a feud with Hall, and he said, "Why should I bother? Because he's not going to make it to Mania." <laughs> he actually he had such little faith to do it. Now there is also another situation here that actually kind of arises. And, and, this, and they wanted him to lose the Hall. They wanted to lose the Hall. Now this this is what I was going to say next: the crazy politics of coming up to WrestleMania 18, where this is all building to a head, where you have. And actually, do you remember the? the match on Raw where it's the NWO it's like their first match the NWO against Rock and Austin it's this huge yeah, main yeah, event yeah. Rock and Stone Cold versus Hogan Hall and Nash mm-hmm. and fuck me that match was something else it wasn't like it was a god awful match but it's just like compared to like two years of like Angle in these great main events and Rock on Fire and Triple H and Austin it's like man Nash and Hall and Hogan too yeah, but, uh, when Hall's your worker of the group yeah. well, that's that's like, is, is your as 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 the as the partisan WF fan, that's what we've been banging on for all this time. The main events absolutely fucking suck. It's like they always did do. Sean was always better. Then Steve was always better. And then Rock. And then Rock was always better. So and trips. I, I, I would have said more just the fact that they just 
I know it's just a tag match, but the fact that they threw away that match on just a Raw, oh, yeah. when they could have, like, you know, sometime it after, been like, it could have been a Mania. Mania. Yeah, but, but the thing, just, uh, just briefly what we were going on well, about, the, the, Austin the, the end of your the, ass. Because, because going on, put them together, these yeah. Because going on for what we're saying, we're going to get anywhere then, then. To, to go on for what we're going on towards the end of the NWO, the only reason why I was asking the question about Austin and Hogan, because obviously the way things went with Rock and Hogan in the end, is obviously that opened up the, well, Hogan made it open up the avenue for Hogan to leave the NWO, right, and, and do his the nostalgia act, which we'll get into in the second half, uh, in the, the second portion. I was just kind of wondering, like, um, how, you know, just kind of like fancy wise, what would have been so different about it, like, if it was Austin instead, and so Hogan did play the heel role and he wasn't able to, like, do what he did with Rock with Austin and so hence had to stick with NWO and basically where they would have gone from there because I'm not saying the NWO was magic before then but certainly as soon as Hogan left that just that shower shite just fucking rolled downhill even faster and it's like and it still would have been shite but it, was just, it would have been interesting to see in an alter reality how that would have worked if Hogan hadn't manipulated his way out of that freaking dead end freaking uh, gimmick uh, irony and and actually had to stick with it because of Austin. Yeah. I'd have just thought that would might have been an interesting different timeline to think about what would have happened there. They were they were fucked as soon as they booked. Well, they were fucked anyway by then. But they were fucked as soon as they got them both lose at WrestleMania. The end of it, both doing a job one month in and both matches. Like, well, this is fucking over with. And I guess they they'd already made their mind up by then anyway. But the other, it, it wasn't supposed to be that way. Like you say, Carl, the original plan one week before WrestleMania was that Scott Hall was going to beat Austin. Wow. Thanks to Vince and Nash. Why didn't they go with Nash instead of Hall? Why, I don't, why, I don't why, know. Why didn't they go with the Alki? I don't know. I, get, I, don't, I have no idea why. Because he wasn't injured yet. He hadn't blown his fucking leg. No, out. no. He was, he, oh, yeah, his tricep fell apart, I think, month, weeks after oh, WrestleMania. Oh, that's why he pointed to it? No. <laughs> <laughs> this is hanging up by a thread, by the way. <laughs> I've already arrived injured with the baby boy, dickhead. Yeah. So, <laughs> after, after that match, after that match, the, the, the handicap match on Raw, the two-on-three, Austin basically went up to them. But actually, no, what happened at first was the writing crew all went to Vince and said we don't want to put Hall over Austin uh, we want Austin to go Sorry. over yeah so then what happened was on the, the, the day before Wrestlemania Scott Hall showed up in his usual state <laughs> that you would expect and that and Austin who had been like you know protesting against this whole thing had been told by Vince if, they sc- if, if Hall screws up one more time he's gone and of course he'd screwed up the first night in with the Dudleys and all that type of stuff mm-hmm. and now he'd done it again you know, the, you know, the day before Wrestlemania Austin just blew his stack and was just like there is absolutely no way that I'm going to be losing to Scott Hall tomorrow and Vince was like alright then Steve that's your call <laughs> like, and they'd already decided not to do it anyway <laughs> so he took the heat from the end of your 4 which is this classic you know what would be great what we missed out on talk about sliding doors of technology drunk Scott Hall on Twitter. Imagine that. Ah. Oh. I we had Twitter about twenty years ago. Oh. Yeah. That'd be better than Trump on Twitter. You goddamn right. <laughs> Just to get some thoughts from the loyal listeners here on what you thought about the end of the year and your expectations going in. Niall Clark on the Facebook page says he thought it was a real missed opportunity. They had the chance to do the invasion right, but they botched it by turning Hogan and making the end of the year look like chumps at Mania 18, which we'll come to shortly. Bomber Pat on the UK fan forum says I was really hyped for the end of the year coming in. I haven't ever really watched WCW outside of random bits and bobs here and there, so I knew them more by reputation than anything else, but I've been a big Razor Ramon fan as a kid, so having him back seemed like it would be awesome. Just having some proper stars coming in felt like a really big deal, and after the latter half of the invasion really downplayed the WCW element in favour of just the Alliance, the thought of the NWO coming into the WWF felt huge. It was a real anything can happen now brave new world moment to think that the NWO would come to the WWF. 
I don't know if I ever even gave much thought to the potential matches or stories, just the idea of it felt massive. Especially with their motivation being that Vince was bringing them in to destroy the WWF, I thought that would tie into the initial idea of them in WCW being that they were still working for Vince, and they'd basically be as heavies but running roughshod over the entire promotion and a real force to be reckoned with. That within a very short space of time they were nothing more than a generic heel stable and never meant to feel like that uh, much of a threat beyond the hokey ambulance angle that had way too low stakes considering The Rock was back a week or two later was incredibly disappointing. Uh, Fragile X on TPWW says, I felt gentrified from the beginning. The stable was already overbooked to death in WCW. By the time the three originals came to WWE, they were too broken for me to take seriously. They were a few steps behind. Uh, Dastardly Dale Newstead on TPWW says, I was only 15. It went almost exactly as one would have imagined. WWE, uh, sorry, Vince produced it as a WWE angle. From the way they came in with a whimper at No Way Out to the wet fart that was an essential disbanding thanks to Hogan baby facing himself at Mania, it was pretty sad. Yeah, the rock beating was cool until they crushed him with an 18 wheeler, then it was just dumb. Plus, rock back at the next show with a band aid was a nice fuck you to anyone who did care. Uh, That's an exaggeration. Yeah, tape on his ribs. Um, Air Raid on the UK fan form says I was out of the loop a little in terms of knowing what to believe from the news sites at the time so when I read the rumours that Hogan and the Outsiders were negotiating to come in I was sceptical even when Vince started mentioning the NWO without names on Raw I wasn't sure what to think in truth I didn't believe it until I popped the tape in for No Way Out and there the fuckers were I was cautiously optimistic that WWF versus NWO could be a different direction to the McMahon oriented product we'd already had for four years and a new direction for top babyfaces Austin Rock and potentially Hunter to battle every week on TV even if the matches were going to be crap how little I knew Harmonic Generates on the UK fan form says I completely bought into it I never watched WCW so never saw the rise and fall and fall and fall and fall and fall of the NWO what I had was what WWE told me about them and in 2002 they sold them as a threat I considered them such it was three massive names Hogan Razor and Diesel coming back to destroy all our favourites should have been great and it could have been, were it not for a string of circumstances. Foreseen, Hogan going babyface, the brand splitting to uh, have Bradshaw feud with them, and unforeseen, Scott Hall gets sacked, constant replacement members like X-Pac. I never gave a thought to how they should have come in during the invasion. If anything, they were better off just being the thing to come along afterwards. Imagine if the invasion had been great. WWF fights off its greatest ever threat, only for these lads to turn up and suddenly, the odds are even more stacked against our heroes. Ah well, at least we got the incredible Lonely Road of Faith video, and a great WWE magazine cover out of it. Uh, we also have Slicky Fricka Damon on TPWW form says he thought it was going to be way better. <laughs> thought it was going to lead to some WCW stars coming into the company to challenge them or join them. Could have been a great way to backdoor the invasion the right way. Putting them with Vince was probably the biggest mistake. They can't really rebel against the authority when the owner's the one bringing them in. Worked way better with Bischoff because he didn't own WCW. Uh, Alan Snedden on the Facebook page says... Yeah, yeah. Pretty much, I, I kind of agree with that. Uh, Alan Snedden on the Facebook page says, The NWO and the WF uh, were just never going to get the run amok storyline-wise that they did in WCW. Since Vince can't have the WF look too weak, it was doomed from day one. The Hogan-Rock match at Mania 18 aside, almost nothing came of it, but I bet they made a fortune off the shirts, which they did. The actually merch was like huge for the NWO for the first month, which kind of surprised me, to be quite honest. Really? WF t-shirts of much higher quality than WF. Better avenues to sell their merchandise. You bring him in, merchandise is number one. Yeah. One of the top reasons you do nothing. Yeah. Tiger Rick on the UK fan form says, I hated the way they came in. That stupid graphic on the chair. And Vince bringing them in to kill my own creation? I wasn't overly fussed about them by that Steph. point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But if they'd come in to take over and put into a feud with the unholy trio of Austin, Rock, and Triple H, that could have been something. Bringing them in for Mania was probably a mistake for the NWO. Obviously, Rock and Hogan worked out well, but the timing was all wrong for them as a group. If Nash's quad was immediately going to ping anyway, did it really matter? <laughs> Lockjaw on the TV WW forum says, My thoughts at the time were, Ugh! NWO! I thought we had seen the end of rehashing the NWO with the end of WCW! And that if they were going to do it, there was probably better ways to do it than Vincent Mann say he's going to inject a lethal dose of poison. Uh, Valid Reasoning on WrestlingForum.com says, Was looking forward to it. A lot, actually. Even though uh, buying, even thought about buying tickets to see No Way Out, but I was very busy at the time, and it probably would have taken untold hours to get to Milwaukee. I thought they killed the angle the first night with the whole We Are Not The Bad Guys speech. Uh, Rock and uh, Hogan's confrontation the following night was very good, and their match at Mania uh, was good too, but everything else was very bad, or even horrible. Uh, promoter 2003 on Wrestling Forms says, I expected big things even though some hated the idea. The execution sucked. It got off the wrong way immediately, in my opinion. Vincent Mann should have had a confrontation with Hogan Hall and Nash, even with Vince having anger over them leaving to go to WCW in the first place. But bringing them in uh, as Vince's people uh, to confront Flair was completely ridiculous. If it wasn't for the Hogan Rock Dream match, this botch may have been just as bad as the invasion. Uh, so yeah, some strong takes there from, uh, from the folks. It absolutely should have, the way this should have gone down, as it did, but as they saunter out slowly at No Way Out, Benoit, Guerrero, maybe Booker, and a couple of other w, you know, WCW guys who maybe Jericho, they would come out, jump them, just fucking beat the beat shit, beat the shit out of them, throw them out the door like they did with like they did Bagwell. with no, but they did with fucking Heenan when he left Raw, and that's the end of it. That. Infinitely better for me. At least you've got the, <laughs> some focus it's, on the young it's guys. Short, it's snappy, short, it's concise. Snappy, yeah. yeah, and then push the murder a bit. <laughs> in, in, incidentally, just just, just one thing because uh, just uh, a bit like a kind of a unicorn as a, as a very rarity. Uh, on the angle that you were describing with uh, with um, Scott Hall when they basically like Austin kidnaps him and so on on the SmackDown. Just before then, just before he kidnaps him, and they're basically they've gone to the back. They're limping away after he's hit them with the tire iron, and the the the, the wheels on their limousine have been taken down. If you watch very carefully during that angle, Kevin Nash runs. It's the sight of a hole. Yeah, he literally uses all his quad points in that one moment. <laughs> that's why he, that's why it pinged in the end because he he dared to run a few weeks beforehand. Just a unicorn moment of Nash running. It's quite strange. <laughs> it kind of it kind of looks a bit weird. It's a bad idea. It's a bad idea. Actually, there is one thing here that John Sheehan on the Facebook page mentioned uh, when he said that the interview had been done to death in WCW, but it just made WWE uh, seem desperate, uh, which they were at the time. That's kind of the word that first struck me, actually. It's like, yeah. that's actually kind of perfect way to put it, is it felt so desperate coming out of this. <laughs> so, desperate as they were, and obviously pushing the NWO the way that they are, uh, it brings us to WrestleMania 18, which obviously is the, uh, the, the, the big show of the period. And I just, uh, again, broad thoughts in terms of I remember building up to this show and just feeling like the excitement that was there for the previous year. I'd start to get that feeling for what that WrestleMania, the pre-WrestleMania excitement was. They did a really good job building up the prior couple, I thought. Um, and it just felt like, it was like, there's not really a lot to be excited about outside of Rock and Hogan. I'm not really sure how excited I was to see that either, mm. other than knowing it's a big match and, and cool. But like nothing felt great. And I think that one of the, the big hallmarks of WrestleMania 18 is what just a, an absolute disaster it was in terms of for, for a, a roster like that to get so little out of it in terms of like dude, fucking Angle stuck with Kane Edge and Booker in the middle Van Damme uh, over, over the rights to a Japanese shampoo commercial yeah, yeah the Japanese shampoo that we all remember yeah. 
Van Damme wrestling Regal. Van Damme Regal, you know, the, the the ongoing hardcore title saga with Gold Dust and Maven. Chris, Christian DDP. Christian DDP. The tag, you know, the A- other, APA being there in any capacity. APA being there. Drowning Pool getting two songs. Well, that's that's <laughs> the thing. That's the thing. I was I was very concerned about this show till they announced live music. Because as we know, live music at pro wrestling events always delivers. <laughs> always. Without exception. Yeah. <laughs> I, can, I can imagine you tapping your feet to the music as you were watching it. I think I was nodding off to the music. <laughs> what about when Drowning Pool told the story of Drowning <laughs> Chris Jericho in music form? On that time show, that time show that was so fucking high up, no one could barely, barely yeah. see it past the fucking scaffold. Covered with scaffold, yeah. yeah. Great, great move there. I, I just, just very briefly for this for me for in terms of like the build up to 18 and not to sound like that guy but I will um, I felt the exact way I was expecting to feel for this mania after my uh, thoughts on Wrestlemania 17 which has been you know well told on, on yeah, these yeah. podcasts basically my general uh, feeling of like uh, no okay something's like we're going down the downslide 18 was pretty much exactly where I expected it to be in terms of like generally I mean outside of Rock Hogan which I generally was intrigued for I thought okay it's going to be a great match you know you had an underwhelming main event um, and that's before we even saw it um, Austin Scott Hall being a real even though like I've talked about how like Austin just felt quite kind of tepid at this point Austin Rock just feeling completely like a, like a mismatch in itself just being like that's Austin not, Hall Austin Hall sorry Austin Hall feeling like a complete mismatch as in like that doesn't feel like the right type of match for Austin in any way, shape, or form because it didn't feel like a big deal. And even really, when I mentioned Nash, that wouldn't have felt like a big deal either. Um, as, as we mentioned, the mismatches in, in, in people and, and the storylines behind it, whether you said it was Booker Teen Edge over shampoo commercial, Rob Van Dam Regal being just Van Dam was that, so hot the year before. Yeah. And look at him now. Oh yeah, that, that was that was that was one thing that really pissed me off during this time period as well. Was Rob Van Dam just like completely tepid, and it was uh, himself, and that was basically that's actually had more to do with the, the, the December just beforehand when he lost to Undertaker. That was what did it for me. Uh, and just yeah, it's a, the, the the fatal four way uh, tag match just being like uh, atrocious in terms of the competi- uh, one team that was in there getting uh, way too much uh, uh, fucking uh, screen time uh, on on the build up to it, and and just generally like the mismatch. Actually, I, I do tell a lie. The only other match I was generally interested in uh, was Ric Flair Undertaker, uh, even though Undertaker's involved in it uh, mainly just because Ric Flair and just awesome. and it was just awesome. And, and we've already commented about the greatness that is double A uh, coming in to save the day yeah I mean those two matches were the only kind of highlights because they had their nice little bits here and there whilst they may not be the perfect five star classics that uh, people might hope for uh, the rest of the show was just uh, down to the music uh, the presentation the, the, the freaking as you just mentioned the freaking song telling the story the whole thing was just a complete mess and completely Underwhelming outside of just one match, and I think I think we kind of actually um, I, I think when we actually ranked all the WrestleManias, I can't quite remember. My brain's a bit fuzzy on where we place this, but I think we place this quite low yeah. on the list, mainly due to the fact of how underwhelming the build was, how much of a mess it was, and the fact it was pretty much just a one-match card, uh, and then even then that match had you know its many faults to it. So just uh, generally, just uh, absolutely awful. I, it, the thing is, if you're going to tell the story of the main event surely the song has to be how much is that doggy in the window <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think um, when I think about this show again it's just like I, I 
Taker and Flair was enjoyable, don't get me wrong. And Flair, Flair actually had a surprisingly good effort at the Rumble as well. But they, it's weird, like, they're in this really weird position where the company had so much talent, because obviously they had all those WCW guys at the at the the Invasion and the Alliance, who actually weren't working at the time because they were all off and, and going to come back in the brand split that came shortly after this, which we'll get to in a minute. But... When they bought in at the Rumble, like, Goldust, Mr. Perfect, Val Venus, and The Godfather. Like, what the fuck is this? Like, you know, I was, I was, I was happy to see Perfect. Yeah, Perfect was good. But he didn't last long with the excitement of yeah. Mr. Perfect being back. It's like, yeah, the match with Steve Austin in the main event on one of these Raws, it's not that good at all. Do, do, you, do you know, so I just spoke quick, does, do you know what this uh, WrestleMania actually reminded me of in terms of, like, you know, a, a lot of talent, uh, all, like, most of them, like, in their prime and so on, but, like, a completely subpar show with the exception of just one match which involves Hogan which did, went down quite well it will be the other Skydome Wrestlemania Wrestlemania 6 yeah. yes indeed Ta- talent on the show but just not in the right place yeah. and it was just a complete mis- and I've got to say when fucking <laughs> it's like okay the Rock Hogan match let's talk about this briefly because I actually want like everyone's thoughts on this because at the time it was just so surreal and it was like just I couldn't believe that people were cheering for Hulk Hogan over The Rock. I just could not believe that this fucking guy who sucked ass in WCW by the end and was just like the, this this scourge on wrestling. I just couldn't wait to go away. And people were cheering him over The Rock and he fucking he kicks out of The Rock bomb and hawks up. Yeah. It's still, it's awesome when you watch it. It's like an isolated, what the fuck's going on? This is just absolutely un- unreal. It's just pure nostalgia but I think what's weird about it is that the WF had never really been like that before I think that's what kind of hits me hard about it when like when you watch it back and even at the time it's like the WF had always been very kind of or at least the, the, the McMyth was forward facing the past would be ignored most of the time so that we could talk about the, the here and the now and this is the first time where it's like nope it's Hogan remember Hogan yeah but that's what I remember it's this company is kind of just it's struggling to find its feet as a monopoly and it's got so much, so many options at what it can do now. And they fucked up the invasion. And not so long after they brought the guys in who would have made it, give it a better chance or at least a bit more legitimacy. There's just, it's the, the show's a mess. There's no anticipation going in. There's no direction. There's no real solid direction that the fans care about going in. Like they should for Mania. Mm. There's no anticipation of what's going to happen coming out of it. And when we could do come out of it, it's just confusion because we've got this okay <laughs> come on no it's just well they're, they're in large and, and it sort of it brings us back to, to Triple H in, in a way in that on this show I know people want to say Hulk Hogan baby faced himself I the match I was put together the match was the match was himself. designed yeah with that ending you know it's not as if he just did it on a whim it was clearly designed that way yeah. Well, otherwise, of course. otherwise, you don't do the shake of the hands, bearing in mind you tried to kill him three weeks earlier, and the posing afterwards. You don't do that. And Hall and Nash coming out, yeah. and Rock saving the day, and all that. So clearly, the the, the, the idea. I know you don't like that idea, G, because it's Hogan. I think you've got this sense that you want you want oh, to believe that he baby faced himself. Oh, you do. Yeah, I was going. Okay. Okay. It, 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 it was a general head movement okay. of agreement. Okay. Mm. All right, you convinced me this time. But no, it's the thing. It, it brings us back to Triple H in the sense of okay, Hogan's baby face, Rock's baby face, Austin's baby face. The NWO clearly isn't worth a bucket of warm piss now. Jericho's in duet. Jer- Jericho's dead in the war. Jer- Jericho's dead. What the hell do you do with Triple H coming out of this? 
Now, we know which hey, way they went, hey. but, but at the time you started thinking, there's no fucking heel left. There was one heel, well, two Taker. heels, you got put over. Taker, Taker was the big plan, and that, that bothers me more than anything. Fucking Undertaker. I hated the heel Undertaker around this time. God no, damn, was, this guy's... Well, I, I, we hate him going back into the premiership when he's just killing people. Yeah, and this is sense. just like, get this, this guy off this, this is almost like he's been given license, even more of a license to do it. Um, After the marvellous moment with Maven yeah. drop kicking him at the Rumble as well, Carl. Yeah. But even if you want to look and say, well, Angle was put over as well. Not really. He wasn't put over strong. And who's Kane, Kane anyway? And who's Kane? He's Kane by that point. I mean, just in terms of our anticipation and what we expect going forward, think about it going into, going into that show. I'll admit I wasn't entirely sure which way they were going to go with Hogan and Rock. I thought it would be Rock, but I wouldn't have been prepared to stake my life on it because it's Hogan. Yeah, I was in the same right. box. Like, yeah. You just bought them uh, in. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, regards, like you say, just bought them in. Regards of that fact, I always assumed Austin was going over. I'd have been imme- I'd have been stunned if Hall had beaten Austin that night. You always knew Kurt was going to win. You, who the hell cares what happens with the likes of DDP and Christian? No one gives a shit. You always knew Triple H was going to win. Yeah. And you always assumed that the Taker would win. So well, actually, I thought that Flair was going to win at WrestleMania because the whole build-up was like Taker yeah. like killing him every single show. It's like, I, well, clearly I Flair will get the win on the there, day. There was, there was a there was a brief moment, I believe, which was the spinebuster. Yeah. yeah, that was the only point at any stage at which I believe Taker was going to might, might lose. Especially the, the and the, this was really sort of in, in many ways this was the start of the streak in the a sense because this is when they start really referencing it going forward. But you know when when it's when the individuals involved are so miscast or sort of misplaced if you like and the results are so predictable for everything that surrounds the show there's no real sense of anticipation you can't have any excitement because all the heels are dead <laughs> so, there's, so there's no one to hate so you can only root for someone for, you know, to such an extent I'm really behind him as he battles against irrelevant people, <laughs> I just I, and and again, just like the fact that they just the, the NWO is over already. They just, it's over in a month. I couldn't believe. Like I, I, I my jaw hit the but floor. They did steal Kane's mask. Yeah, that well, we'll, we'll talk about that hot angle in the next quarter, Carl. Don't worry about it. But it, yeah, just that sad thought of like you bought them in, it's dead, and I couldn't believe it because I just had that feeling in the pit of my gut it's like he's gonna fucking want the belt back Hogan is I know and you can see where this is going this is not what we need right now is going to fucking Hogan as a, as a huge baby face which is what they did anyway so just get to some uh, oh, oh go ahead let's, let's just touch on that just quickly just just because I feel it emphasises this Triple H point nicely when you throw him in there with Hogan and he couldn't look more second fiddle then <laughs> you number you in air quotes, number one babyface. It's coming off second fiddle to now number two babyface. What the fuck was oh, that? Austin's still there as your number. I can't believe Triple H went for that to be. Yeah. Or maybe he didn't have a say in the matter. Well, I don't think he did, but it was just like, yo, you're, 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 you're hey Triple H, you're the number one top babyface. You've won the world title at WrestleMania. Your first feud is with a freshly turned Hulk Hogan after that thing with the Rock at WrestleMania. Good luck, I, buddy. I, I would have turned around and argued uh, actually slightly uh, against that and just said like immediately following WrestleMania it was quite clear due to like the reactions and generally the perception of the matches that Hogan was the number one babyface now rather than Triple H. 
That's how it came across because um, and that's, it, that's, and it, that's why and, I was saying air quotes. Yeah. Okay, uh, sorry, I sorry, I didn't, I didn't hear that. But uh, and, and that's hence why when you have the raw immediately after WrestleMania, who's the first person out on that raw? Big Terry. It's yeah, exactly. It's Hulk Hogan. He's I, he's the big story I, of that show. But I I wouldn't be surprised if that had been an audible. Yeah, because yeah, I'm I'm not I'm not. Again, I'm not giving the company the benefit of the doubt and thinking they had the foresight no. to think Hogan was going to get cheered out of the building like that. No. No. So I wouldn't, yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if they called an audible for the next night and said, okay, yeah, I think this, send Hogan out first. I think this TV, this period, is so scattershot that, I'd, yeah, they're, they're doing this week to week easily, yeah, no, no doubt in my mind. They had no idea what they were doing. They were yeah, it was all over the fucking place. If now, they did, they were, the NWO build would have been a lot longer and a lot more pronounced, really, but it wasn't. It was every, every freaking moment from, like, Triple H is coming back has just been like well what do we do next yeah. as the, in per hour <laughs> and the, the thing is I, we can sort of like I said, we can bemoan the build of the NWO and and how poorly executed it was and all, and all those all, yeah, all those points are valid but again just from a personal perspective I can't honestly sit here and say I was angry or sad at any point that they'd botched it I was quite relieved to get it out of the way because I didn't <laughs> want to see it <laughs> <laughs> and that, and to, to me, to me, that just speaks to something you know wrong at the core of the company. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you, I also agree with you with Steve Austin because he vanished after this show for two weeks. <laughs> He's like, this was the first period where he took his ball and went home and decided he didn't want to be around anymore. There's a couple of big political things uh, we'll get to here. First of all, is Triple H when a lot of uh, fans in the locker room the week of WrestleMania we did off the record and said that Chris Jericho is missing something that is stopping him from being a top star. Um, one day maybe he'll get it, but he doesn't have it now. And this is the week of WrestleMania, he's about to headline with Chris Jericho. And he, a lot of people were furious with him for, for digging. And especially it's like, fucking hell, maybe it's if uh, Chris Jericho had beaten everyone like you did on the way up, that would be a, might help. And you're saying there's some Canadian TV <laughs> <throws by laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, you prick. Just putting him in his place. And the other one, of course, like I mentioned there, Steve Austin... Disappears for two weeks after uh, after WrestleMania. Not happy with the creative direction. Not happy with the NWO. Doesn't want to work with them. Doesn't want anything to do with them. And there was a, a sidebar, funny story here that uh, uh, which is a somewhat interesting note maybe. So around this time or shortly at, or around this time, yeah, this was my first foray into writing anything to do with wrestling. So I was writing for some website that a friend of mine was running, and. I'd written some story about how Steve Austin had walked out of the company for it with frustrations with the creative direction, blah, 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 blah. And there was a guy called Sarah Roberts who was like a, a friend of mine for a couple of years before that and had said that he was on the WWE creative team at the time. Wink, wink. Okay, then. And he was... And I, his name was on the website as like one of the people I'd spoken to to get this story and as soon as it was on the website that he'd left for this that for creative differences reasons he like blew a stack at me like really angry just like oh don't you take my name off there right now take my name off there right now you can't say that it was due to burnout it's due to burnout it's not creative differences it's due to burnout i'm like trust me this is going somewhere <laughs> this is not me arguing with some random guy the whole point is so i'm like all right whatever and at this point i don't really know how to read this Come to find out, like three years later in the Observer, that Sarah Roberts had left the creative team. 
this guy actually was this guy that I was talking to actually was actually apparently in the thick of it at the time or it was somebody that appropriated his name or something like that but I just thought it was such a really weird like coincidence of a thing to happen like this guy who I thought was just a guy who was claiming to be it and I just was talking to him because he's a wrestling fan <laughs> and he's like hang on a second because the, the talk at the time was that like they, that was what they said publicly was it was a bur- his burnout it was not a creative issue um, yeah, so I just thought that was an, an odd little kind of story that I remembered as I was like digging through these notes, and I remember seeing that name in the Observer that he actually was on the creative team. Just on the kind of like the burnout kind of notion. Just um, obviously we know that now that he, he didn't uh, he didn't agree creatively what was going on. Um, just kind of like any like ideas from like Observer or whatever um, about like mentally where Austin was at this point. I mean, was he uh, well? Was he uh, <laughs> was he having his troubles with? Uh, with misses yet? No, that would come later. So yeah, a little bit later. Th- this, okay. I mean, it may have started around this time, but there were frustrations. Watched it, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> there, were, there were some trials and tribulations with Steve. I think his neck was because it wasn't long until. I can say the, the neck, the neck probably doesn't. Uh, this isn't. This isn't an excuse. I'm just sort of thinking of like, if his neck's bothering him, that's probably not helping. The, sort of the mood and. I just think that he was very frustrated at his place at the time. I just oh. think. Ask him this, Liam, when you do his show. <laughs> Given what Steve Austin's talked about, his use of Viagra in recent years, I'm pretty sure that his four divorces are down to erectile dysfunction and his salty attitude. He explains a lot, gets the pill sorted. His life's a lot happier. Happy wife, happy life. <laughs> I'll be sure. Ask him that. <laughs> yeah, I'll be, I'll be sure to. <laughs> I want you to phrase it just that way. As well. yeah. Make sure it's the very last thing you say on the podcast. <laughs> Make sure you get the rest of it out of the way first. That's probably a good idea. Yeah, I, I, yeah but I, I, again, it's that thing of it's so disjointed. After WrestleMania 18, it's like it's a show where it feels like where the hell is this company going next? And uh, I do want to actually get to some of the, uh, the thoughts of the loyal listeners here about WrestleMania 18 before we move on. Uh, Bomber Pat on the UK Fan Forum says, It's hard to look back on how I felt about it at the time. It definitely felt, on some level, like a step backwards and a bit of a letdown after WrestleMania 17, which set one hell of a benchmark as the first WrestleMania I watched since getting back into wrestling. I loved all the hardcore shenanigans on the show. That's pretty much my favourite division at the time. Uh, Taker vs. Flair, I loved. I was a big fan of Taker's heel work, and the whole angle building up to it was amazing. Even not really knowing who Arn Anderson was, his interference was an amazing moment, and just everything about that match was exactly what I wanted it to be. Triple H versus Jericho, just a massive letdown and a damp squib of a match. Uh, Steve Austin versus Scott Hall, outside of Hall's cell of the stunner at the end, was another disappointment. It became pretty clear very early on in the NWO's run that Austin wasn't going to put them over, and had already been making Hall look like a joke well before this match. This is really where it became clear that the NWO just weren't a threat at all. Their first pay-per-view matches, and they're losing. I can't remember if Nash was already hurt by this point. He wasn't. But him being resigned to ringside duty felt like a waste of a big star too. Even Austin in this match just felt like he was slumming it. The bloom was already off the rose, trademark uh, Carl Jones, for the NWO a month into their run, and Austin was starting to outlive his usefulness too. Rock versus Hogan. Wow, the rest of the show could have been bobbins, and at least we still had that match. And I say that without ever having been a fan of either man. I hadn't seen anything like it. People question why Austin didn't want to work with Hogan at this time, but it's easy to forget that before this match, no one really thought Hulk Hogan still had a place at a main event level. There'd been years of him stinking it up in WCW, and beforehand I really don't think anyone thought he had a match like this in him, let alone the brilliant few m- uh, months run he had following it, so I'll have to take you to task there in the, uh, in the next episode of this, uh, this series. Have you seen Judgment Day? <laughs> It really felt like it came out of nowhere. Uh, Punk Step on the UK fan forum says, Shit! 
A shit show. Really hated it at the time. Mania 17 was insanely good, so it was always going to be hard to top that, but Mania 18 really disappointed me. I loved Rock and Hogan, uh, and always and also enjoyed DDP vs. Christian, a decent uh, little quick bout. I thought everything else was either a mess or crap. Didn't like Triple H, Jericho, Austin or Hall, Angle or Kane, Edge and Booker, or the tag team clusterfuck. I thought RVD vs. Regal was a mismatch between the two guys I really liked. Quite like the wounds triple threat, I also enjoyed Taker vs. Flair. I popped huge for the perfect spinebuster from Double A. Thought the hardcore shenanigans were nowhere as good as the efforts from Mania 16 and 17. Was pissed off that Mr. Perfect wasn't on the card, and thought him vs. Angle would have been an improvement over what they had. So yeah, really disliked this show, although I probably wouldn't mind it as much today. Uh, before we move on to some of the other feedback, there was actually one thing that... Uh, we mentioned before we went on the air about a little little gem in the mid card around this period of time which is my fond memories from reflection of Billy and Chuck as the, as, as the new tag team champions a, a struggling division filled with stale acts yeah. I thought at the time the Dudleys oh, yeah. were so stale the Harleys had come back and been put back together after they'd done the, the failed breakup angle early in the year the APA was just yeah they were they were they were exhausted by then and then you get Billy Gunn and Chuck Palumbo and somehow it actually aged is quite well. Some, yeah, some of the backstage yeah. skits and stuff is very, very funny. But Carl, what were your thoughts on Billy and Chuck at the time? <laughs> I'm not quite sure I like the way it's sort of directed to me as if I've got some sort of old cantankerous view to make on this, given the way that they were portrayed on TV. And I think the best way I can describe it is it's, it's fine for what it was. It's just my, my overriding memory at that point isn't really of any individual team. It's just my sort of general apathy towards the division as a whole. I I agree with Carla in the sense of uh, when I first started watching it, like my memory at the time was like, oh, okay, it was it was just tag team. The tag, as you said, tag team scene was quite stale. Watching it back in preparation for this uh, for this podcast, they were a particular highlight uh, for me. Uh, one of the few highlights uh, of this three, uh, three month period. Um, we've we've joked and rightfully so about Billy Gunn. And, uh, you know, about, you know, when he was uh, all his single runs, you know, whether he's the one or whether he's king ass, whatever. And he's absolutely tired on those singles run. But, and what is kind of displayed here with Chuck Palumbo, it is actually a solid, really good, like, tag team wrestler. And looking back on this gimmick now, this was actually really entertaining. Um, and as you said, it's aged quite well. And it does some humorous stuff here. And I, I, a bit of a, bit of a kind of uh, a reveal here. Uh, that I actually was, I actually quite liked Chuck Palumbo at like times. I was actually one of the few, few <laughs> people I know. I was one of the few people that actually liked O'Hare and Palumbo. Well, don't get me wrong, I didn't, think that, didn't love them as much as The Rock, you know, but I'm just saying, like, I saw, I saw, I, yeah, I, I just kind of saw, you just, like, you just uh, love the jungle kick. Yeah, <laughs> I just, I just, uh, it was better than the perfect event, but it was just, um, but, um, but no, just, uh, just those two, you know, I, I quite liked them. I thought they had a bit of potential, uh, you know, after, uh, you know, uh, for, for green guys and so on. So like Palumbo, I kind of like thought like you know he, he was a good like tag team wrestler as well. So those two like watching them now was a good fit for each other. But it was also just um, literally, literally. <laughs> but it was also just the way they executed this because at first they were just like, hey, we're just a couple of cool looking guys in our red sparkly gear, you know, just coming out and just wrestling. And it's just like oblivious, Billy Gunn, and it's a bit oblivious to it because they do they actually weren't doing that at the time. They were they hadn't actually gone into that kind of mode yet. They were just a just two guys they put together and they're both around red and so like even that in this basic way and they're still coming out to Billy Gunn's The One music and it's like okay this is this is quite entertaining 
Get it on. Yeah, and it's just like, okay, and it's just like, okay, this is like entertaining because like Billy Gunn's just there, go, yeah, look how cool we look in our gear, and he just instantly goes in this Billy Gunn pose. And it's like, okay, he's actually quite funny. He's actually quite funny, like unintentionally, but he's actually quite funny. And then they start turning the screw, so to say, on what the gimmick is actually going to be. And there is some genuinely funny and well-played moments by these two, where it's like, damn, this actually had like some real potential to it. Two, two, two moments in particular during this time period that was really good. There was one where um, uh, I think it's like Jazz. I think they were going to do like a, a six-man uh, mixed tag match with Jazz. And Jazz comes in on them as they're stretching. And they're in a compromising position where like Billy is like stretching like Chuck's legs and so on. And this whole scene is absolutely hilarious just for the fact that they're interchanging and the whole kind of innocence of these two men like like grabbing each other's legs and stretching them and just like, oh, that feels good, Billy. Yeah, thanks for that. And then just when they turn around and just go like, Billy just turns around and goes, I know what we should do next. We should do our crotches. And they just basically end this weird kind of like spider monkey pose on the freaking floor as they're just stretching <laughs> their pelvises out and just hearing Billy go, <laughs> does Billy go, oh, this is a good idea, Chucky. You know, and this is stretching, just like fucking crying with laughter over it. Just thinking, okay, that's pretty fucking funny. And then they do another, then they do like another segment where they've gone into the women's locker room. They've just burst in for no reason because hey, there's nothing there that they're interested in. And they just burst in, just do this like thing with Stacy and Toy where they say, hey, look at our new calendar that we got with all these provocative poses. And it's just like the most ridiculous looking like trash bloody calendar you've ever seen. Like you can see like the photos of some overexposed. It looks like they've got like bright red faces on it and stuff. It just looks awful. And they just do this pose down with Jerry the King Lawler and fucking hell Billy Gunn's great in this but fucking hell Chuck Palumbo fucking sells this like a motherfucker he's like right this is the best of a bad lot this is better than the invasion angle so I'm gonna go fucking with this as they just do these poses and they're going like back to back and Chuck's like sticking his ass out <laughs> and it's going through these poses until the very last one where Billy gets down he looks slightly old he doesn't go down gracefully he kind of goes like his hips gone and he just does this pose and then Chuck just leers over him just like way too close like intertwining his legs around his body just leering at him. and I'm fucking crying thinking this is fucking brilliant like why did I not appreciate this at the time this is fucking this this is how you book Billy Gunn this is Billy Gunn's wheelhouse not the Mr. Ass stuff it's a different type of Mr. Ass but like this this is how you book Billy Gunn and Chuck Plumber I just I've got a minute like this could have been like trashed like to anyone else but like fair play to those two they fucking they they just they, they just turned into it. They just turned into this slide and just went fuck it. We're gonna go all out for it, and it actually turned out to be pretty golden for me. Massive uh, enjoyment. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit of a. Uh... Actually, you know what was a, another kind of curious tag team? The Taz Spike Dudley short-lived team. Yeah. Which, which which considering they had like you know again a struggling division, but it's like Taz and Spike. What a random pairing that is. So just to, not for the benefit of this, but just to clarify, uh, because I thought I was going crazy on this. Taz got new music by this point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. So no, I was just watching it. Like he just put his old music on there, and I was just like ah, sitting there, okay. just driving me crazy after a bit, thinking like I'm pretty certain he had new music. They gave me some no, like the end of the Cypress day. Hill just, track. Yeah, yeah, but it's just like I thought I'm sure he had new music by this point. It's just like yeah, yeah just oh, the editing of shit. Well. Yeah, well, there you go. That's yeah. the way it is. But uh, move back to WrestleMania 18, seamlessly. Uh, Air Raid on UK fan form says, I was gobsmacked in the golfing quality for Mania 17 despite having access to most of the same talent. 
Around the rumble time, I really started to get excited about what we might get from the usual main crew, and a handful of guys even knew or recently moved up. What they delivered had me worried in advance and really disappointed after I watched. Austin Rock, Hunter Taker, and Angle are the big stars of the day, and I wanted to see some big climactic matches between them on the biggest stage. But they were all lumbered with wrestlers either passed it from a match quality point of view, beneath them on the totem pole, or Kane. Styles clash between RVD and Bill Regal aside, the undercar was uninspiring. Yes, I loved Rock vs Hogan as a spectacle, and I still do, and with hindsight since Rock was off shortly, it was fine. But at the time I was baffled why Rock was drifting away from the title picture, and with 2018 insights, I recognise Mania 18 as the start of throwing everything at the card in terms of name value, even if focus is off the guys you're going to have on TV every week. But as the show start to finish, it's pretty ropey. Uh, Harmonic Generates on the UK fan forms is a massive disappointment, still my most disappointing mania. This is because, uh, like Pat, I'd found my way back into wrestling through the demo uh, of the first Smackdown game and got hooked around SummerSlam 2000, so the first WrestleMania I really was there for was X7. That was my bar for what WrestleMania was supposed to be. I can be forgiven for expecting X8 to be just as good, right? Well, it bloody wasn't. Not in comparison, even watching it back now it just feels dark and dingy compared to the gorgeous look of the year before. I like uh, Take vs Flair, but there's nothing else on the card that grabbed me like most of the previous Mania did. Regal RVD was no Regal Jericho. Angle Kane was no Angle Benoit. That four-way tag shite, not exactly TLC. Rock and Hogan just didn't thrill me in the build-up because I was never a Hulkamaniac and the main event held no excitement for me, and I don't think it did for anybody, really. Um, Johnny B. Good on the UK fan form says, This was the first WrestleMania that suffered from a roster that was too big and the need to cram everyone on the card. How this card could have benefited from a Money in the Bank ladder match and an Andre Battle Royale, eh? Uh, there was too much... <laughs> There was too much stuff crammed together last minute, and the stuff that had uh, long passed its sell-by date, such as the European and hardcore titles. You look back at 17 and realise they'd gone past the invasion and were a full year on, but a lot of the guys were still stuck in the same spot on the card and no one had progressed anywhere. With some tinkering of the matches and the running of the card, this could have been an all-time great mania, but outside of Taker Flair and Hogan Rock, it's just meh. Uh, Slicky Tricky Damon on TPWW says, Rock and Hogan had probably one of the best moments in wrestling history. Uh, not the best match, but just like Hulk and Andre, it was must-see. Really great emotion, and the crowd no-selling Hogan in Toronto. Uh, rest of the crowd was just, sorry, rest of the show was just meh. Uh, Tiger Rick on UK fan form says he didn't like it then or now. The title matches are dud. Austin being stuck with Scott Hall was bollocks. Angle was sidelined. Booker and Edge had a fight over shampoo. The open have felt below what RVD should have been coming off uh, is 2001. Taker and Flair was better than I thought it would be. Christian DDP feud was nice low-card stuff, although again, they'd blown DDP. This is when he's in his, uh, that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. Smiling oh, face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Rock Hogan is the... his real favourite at SCG Radio. <laughs> yeah, these timelines have really done a number on his uh, reputation. Uh, Rock Hogan is the only memorable thing on it, but even that's rubbish if you care about anything other than how the crowd reacts. Trouble is, I can't think of a much better card. We'd seen everything. Perhaps the Austin Rock trips triple threat match that we never got at Survivor Series 2000 should have headlined this one. Uh, Bad News Gertner on TPWW form says Rock versus Hogan is still my favourite match of all time. Hogan hulking up during the match is my favourite moment in a wrestling match. I've watched that match a dozen times and I still cheer when Hogan hulks up. And uh, Helmsphere on TPWW says I was actually there for this one. I felt outside of the Hogan Rock match, which basically burned everyone out because of how electric it was, and a decent European title match, it was mostly forgettable. And I wanted to get your uh, kind of take on this card before we move on quickly because you were. This is, this is, this is always ominous. You, you, you were a Hulkamaniac in your younger years. So I actually was curious. I love the sort of trawling around the table as if it's some sort of alien concept. No, Most no, people no. were. No, no, no. I'm not trying to get to that point. I'm just trying to say, given <laughs> given that you grew up as a Hulkamaniac, 
what were your kind of thoughts on Hogan being back and then of course the, the, the Hulk up and, and the, the baby facing of him oh I did yeah yeah I'm not didn't I'm, have that same nostalgia I'm not sure I, fans f- I felt like a kid when I was a kid most people, <laughs> most people tend to proclaim that I never had a childhood you do, <laughs> you, you do have a, a, a bit of the Benjamin buttons about you I must admit <laughs> That's one way of looking at it, I suppose. Depends. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there, there are there are ugly people. There, there are ugly people in the world who are younger than sixty. But I digress. Um, right, what was the question? Hulk Hogan's that Hulk one. Hogan. Thank you, Hulk Hogan. There we are. Back on track. Um, no. Because I'd already lived through the WCW exploits, so I had no interest in seeing him come back. I had no interest in seeing him take up a spot on the card. Wow, you were that sour on him by then. Uh, well, like I said before, you know, I should look at things in a more sort of analytical sense and say, the NWO stuff, they did a terrible job of it. You know, This is how you do it properly, and it, you know, it could have worked so much better. Whereas really, my overbiding memories... Yeah, they botched it, and I don't care. <laughs> I don't care because I didn't want to see it. You didn't want it first. It's, place. it's not. It's not like the invasion where yeah, you know, there's a, a genuine disappointment at how terribly they ballsed it up. <laughs> With the NWO, no, I don't want to see this. <laughs> like I say, no expect. I heard a, a few people there mention about disappointments with with May eighteen. That's that's fine. I wasn't disappointed because my expectations were just so generally low going wow, into it. Wow, really? What about you, Kieran? You have the same kind of low expectation for this one, do you remember? I'm trying to think. I mean, uh, what I will say is obviously Hogan and Rock is, is the anomaly in all that. Yes. Yeah. But again, as we referenced that, it's the spectacle. And once that spectacle's out of the way, what are you going to go to then? Hogan's still going to be there. He's going to outstay his welcome. There's going to be terrible matches. He's going to be featured far more than he ever should be. <laughs> Finn! Finn! Great tail off of him. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm sorry. Segway! Segway! <laughs> when I was. Well, when the initial NWO announcement was made, I was, I was interested. The anticipation, what's going to happen, where this is going to be, you know, it's going to be something different. And then just. The swivel of the with the swivel of the chair, it's like uh, this is. Yeah. <laughs> so were the days of our lives, and yeah, so th- th- this isn't gonna, this is going to be what we come to know as a WWE angle, where, yeah. <laughs> where not lots done with it and it's shit. Um, Mania itself, I honestly, I can't I can't remember any strong feelings. I think apathy is kind of the yeah. thing. Yeah. It's the yeah the lack of anti as I said before the lack of anticipation and the lack that's how my mind works anyway anticipation going in and potential coming out I don't know how you're looking at that and thinking where you're going from it it's just yeah. a mess and I think that's apathy is the worst thing in any any walk of life for, yeah. for a fan base so we've talked a lot about WrestleMania 18 feeling like a mess where we don't know where we we're going to end up coming out of it and it seems that the WF kind of had the same vision because. The next night on Raw, the Raw after WrestleMania, they announced that they are splitting the roster in two. It is going to be Raw, led by Flair, against Vince's SmackDown. And even just the execution of this was crap. Where they had like... And they were kind of teasing this in the, in the weeks prior to Mania, where they had like... And this story's the just so meeting. fucking... The board meeting, where they have Vince Pitio pleading his cases to why they need to get rid of Flair. And Linda McMahon... 
but, but this is all based on Flair like punching a fan or like, like or, or, yeah, or getting involved with Undertaker. Yeah, and it's like uh, the, the whole the whole storyline was that Vincent Mann, um, who one month before vowed to kill his own creation and bring in Hogan, Hall, and Nash, was voted as the more competent owner yeah. over Ric Flair, and that he history of like beating his own employee, putting his wife in the fucking mental institution, whatever it yes, was. Yes, but Ric Flair was in a mental institution. <laughs> True. So between the two, Vince had threatened to kill his own creation one month prior, and they said, "That's the guy." Vince McMahon, he should lead the company. Flair, no, he, he's unstable. Now, the whole idea was that Vince was going to get involved in Austin's match at WrestleMania, cost Austin the match, and that was going to be the reason why, well, since you've done it too, we're going to split the rosters. Didn't happen. So they just kind of said, all right, so we're doing the split. <laughs> That's pretty much what it came down to. There's well, no explanation. They, they, they just added that little line, just like, oh, after, because Vince thought he'd won. He's like, yes, thank you, well done. He goes, actually, Vince, don't get ahead of yourself. We will after... Okay. After WrestleMania, we'll reevaluate mm. the situation. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, it was just, it was like, it was just no, it's a it's terrible fucking story. WCW. It's yeah, WCW. Totally. There's this convoluted leadership bullshit when we've spent since '96, probably before we've been, we've the crowd has learned the management dynamic of this company. It was the fucking reason your company was on fire with your boss as the lead heel. Because it was legit, people understood it, it was simple. And now, because you've got a shoehorn, we're gonna, still going to do this fucking split because the roster's all over the shop. We plan to do it anyway, so let's go and do it. Let's come up with a reason to do it. Oh, no, let's get all these extra uh, fucking mouths to feed on the roster now as well for millions of dollars, probably. Oh, let's just do it. It doesn't matter how we do it, let's just do it. As long as we've got a reason, once it's happened, it's happened. And it's just, it's like watching WCW. You're not, yeah. There's no feeling of authenticity authenticity behind the make believe bullshit yeah. <laughs> of pro wrestling. It's, and it's like wrestling companies never understood that. Never, never, they've never got that. They've never understood the difference between when people gravitate, gravitate towards something that's real or they perceive as real, more importantly, and stuff that's manufactured. It's just, it's just different, and they just. No, nah, but I see your point in the sense of it, it's very, like I said, very WCW-ish tendencies. How do you, yes, how do you fucking get? How do you get behind anything that you know? It's bollocks. It's irrelevant. It's going to be irrelevant in two weeks' time because yeah. you've chopped and changed so much already. And this, we know it's bullshit. We know it's not going to mean anything. It's just it becomes irrelevant and meaningless, and it's just a way to fill. It's a way to do stuff rather than actually driving the shows you're watching. Yeah, and it's like it is. The roster become too bloated. They're no competition and already they're fucking it's, it's the a difference in this company bukkake, it's a mess <laughs> a mess it is absolutely disastrous now Carl your thoughts on again just the, uh, the kind of the concept when you kind of first heard about the, the idea of splitting the roster in two doing it with Raw, Raw and Smackdown as the, the companies not, and not a split by the way I should say a brand extension yes hmm. surely a, a brand extension would have meant the creation of a, an entirely new brand you as we so. would know it yeah as opposed to two existing brands you're not really extending anything then are you <laughs> but maybe that's just the brand mind. maintenance <laughs> yeah, yeah. brand brand alterations status quo and now um it's 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 very much like this I, this idea of rather than having the individuals that sort of or the personalities that build up and drive towards the concept they're just like okay we just need a concept and we can just sort of throw everyone into it afterwards mm. it's very much sort of um, cart before the horse type of thing uh, 
I was I was curious. I'll, I'll I'll say that much. I um. I did. You do sort of wonder at the time, thinking, especially when you when you bear in mind how they've sort of ballsed up this roster. Oh, sorry, ballsed up the roster. I'll start that again. When you think about how they they ballsed up the mania card, or well, it certainly didn't make it all it could be. Then you sort of think. So in essence, they're gonna dilute the two shows and then they're going to dilute the pay-per-views and you think well considering they couldn't put a good show together with everyone on, under one roof how the hell are they going to do this by separating them off certainly the roster was bigger at this point than it was in say the Attitude Era when you oh, go God, back and yeah. look at the timelines and we've sort of bemoaned the lack of depth to the to the WWF there's uh, 15 roster. guys on the roster and anyone's yeah. over a stone cold for you, some of this yeah so obviously yeah you've got a much bigger roster by this stage but even then I sort of sit there and think is the roster big enough and strong enough to have two good shows no well, I wasn't I wasn't necessarily down on it but I, I was sort of I think curious is just the best word I can use to describe it because we really had no idea where they were going to go you know you, you don't know that they're going to do two sets of title belts because at that point the, the world champion could be on either when it yeah. was first incept, from the first conception you think oh okay well let's see how it goes but um, you know it, uh, as we've seen over the years it's uh, results I'd say were mixed if we were being charitable and we'll talk about the because the actual the last show the last of, of this month is the actual draft so we'll talk about that shortly but uh, you know what um, um, me, me, interrupt. Um, go ahead the, the fact that when they did this first time round, they knew SmackDown was the not the redheaded stepchild, but the, um, the the lesser of the two brands. So they put Vince on that one for the name recognition and Flair on and Raw, which is like that's weird. It never worked. <laughs> like thing is, it's like they don't realise if you don't treat it like equal the rest of the time yeah. still going to be second round this is the weird the thing, thing is Vince is on the first Raw yeah, he comes on anyway. he's on the first Raw anyway the brand decision. well we don't risk hurting no. the ratings I, I always find it sort of a, a curious mentality I, I, I presume it's based predominantly on obviously it being Vince's sort of first creation as opposed to Smackdown speaking about Raw and the sort of truckload of of money they get from USA or at that time Spike or TNN or whatever the hell it was called at that, mm -hmm. by that stage obviously the dollars there matter but I always found it a sort of curious mentality of we're going this, this brand that's going to be the red headed stepchild is the one that's on network TV and is available in more households well the interesting thing was I thought again and we'll come to this shortly because I'll talk conception, then we'll actually talk execution in a second. I don't think that ended up being the case when they actually did the draft. I don't think that SmackDown came out the redhead stepchild at all. I thought Raw came. I thought fucking SmackDown. Like they were moonwalking their way to an awesome show, while Raw was stuck with fucking Taker, Kane, and the NWO. Yeah, but that's the. But, but that's what I mean. Though, that they load. They've always like, they've put Cena on SmackDown fucking loads of times. Mm. But it's the perception of the show, and it's the importance of the show to the company. That's never changed. Yeah, and that. If that's never and it will never will change because you've got Raw winning the war, yeah. And it's the flagship yeah. show, yeah. Uh, SmackDown was always secondary. It was no one ever gave a shit about Thunder versus SmackDown. So <laughs> e even when they loaded up, even Good when point. even when it was a better show with Heyman booking, 
it was still there's still within the company there's a perception it's a second show and that will never ever change yeah. so, so but they recognise it they're aware of their own bias but it cannot it's change. not presented it never has been it's never been presented as Raw's uh, beholden to Smackdown in any respect and, and I, I appreciate we don't want to get into too much depth about this because obviously it's a time it's we'll cover yeah. but even when you look at the sort of the strength of, of the Smackdown roster going through the rest of that year in terms of in-ring quality and what we actually want to watch and the bits of the year that we find more enjoyable coming from the Smackdown side of things yeah. it's not long before Triple H has moved over to Raw oh yeah you know, it, you know, Shawn Michaels is coming back well he's going on Raw Tuesday prayer meeting meetings notwithstanding obviously, <laughs> obviously. but you know again I just think it, sort of, it just bleeds into that mm. perception yeah yeah I see what you're saying I think going in it was funny because I think I again it's similar there have been a few of these dangling carrots in a row where like it's it's the invasion and that bombs and then it's the NWO and that and it's Triple H's return and that's kind of over with and that's the NWO and that's already over with and we're a month in and now it's this the the the, the entire landscape of wrestling WWE as we know it is going to change because they're doing this brand split with the whole draft and everything I found it a very intriguing idea going in because it's just like what's this going to look like what's this going to be you know and they they did some things. You know, the day after WrestleMania, the debut of Brock Lesnar as well, which was quite interesting. Him and uh, Paul Heyman rocking up with an awesome debut, just murderizing Spike Dudley with those power bombs, and uh, and Heyman being back was quite exciting. And again, they they did have an enormous, enormous roster with like all these guys like fucking Raven who had been like just lingering around doing nothing for six months uh, with the uh, with the invasion being dead. So it was just it was a very strange time, and yeah, like I said, very kind of not knowing what we were in for. Quite optimistic. So uh, yeah, what are you? Um, yeah, I, uh, that's actually kind of hard to describe it. Actually, where they when they first announced it was blind optimism. I think was uh, because I think how I, I saw it at the time was the kind of spectacle of that. Okay, how are they actually going to go about this? How are they going to achieve this? Um, what exactly does it mean going forward? And um, I think uh, you know I, I was I was kind of interested to see how they're going to execute it. But I think in terms of like the actual reasoning behind it. Um, at the time, I don't really think I thought too much about it. I, I think uh, probably all it kind of indicated to me was that I think I was expecting, oh, okay, more people are going to be coming in somehow. I don't like like who. Like, yes, we'll get like people like the Ravens and and so on who will suddenly get screen time. But like maybe we might have a few more WCW guys coming in because we've had Ric Flair come in just after, and we've had the NWO. Is anyone else due in? Um, and I think looking back on it now, I'm not surprised they went with it. I mean, there is obviously a massive element of like, all right, but all right, boys. Um, any ideas at all? <laughs> Anything at all? And one guy just goes, "Yeah, well, we we'll do something like football. You know, let's do a draft." And he just went, "Yeah, all right. We, we've been flying by the seat of our pants so far this year. Let's go with it." Whilst another kind of side point of it, when you watch the shows, um, back to back, everything. Outside of obviously the main players who they're obviously always going to have on there, even though there's times where Austin and Rock don't appear for for whatever reasons. Uh, in terms of, like the undercard, there was uh, because there's like so many people on Ross now. There are times where like you know, okay, they're not fucking massive stars, but like key guys like for out the Hardys, for instance, are actually vacant from television for like no reason whatsoever for quite a while. Uh, Hardy's been like a very good description. You said about Raven not being around for like freaking ages. There's a lot of guys. Who are on that roster? And, saying, and, and yeah, yeah, there's a lot of guys who are on that roster, and they don't appear from television to television because they're spending their their hour and a half just constantly just using 
Austin Rock, rightfully so, so on, but like, you know, people like Booker T and DDP and all these guys, whilst a whole bunch of other guys are going by the wayside. And so probably, I think the reason why they went for that was just thinking like, we've got a lot of guys who are just sitting in the back or sitting in the hotel or sitting at home, whatever, not doing anything. Why don't we just extend the brand split? We got quite a few stars. We've just brought in the NWO. We've got Hogan who's over. Blah blah blah. Let's just make, let's do a brand split so we actually freaking use these guys who we're paying for. And I I just thought it was just their like quick fix guide basically to like the problem they had. They but they planned to do this with WCW. So it was it wasn't a, yeah. it wasn't a city. Uh, yeah. This plan had been in place in one form or the other. Yeah. With different letters for over a year. They, they were so originally going to do the draft in like July of 2001. Yeah. Then they postponed it. They did. They did the invasion as an angle. They were originally going to do the split after the day after the Royal Rumble was the original idea. It was obviously Flair beats Vince. They go crazy. This town's not big enough for the both of us. We'll split yeah. it fifty-fifty. Yeah. The whole idea of Flair being the fifty-fifty owner was to lead I, to the split. So I, I they didn't plan it for a while. But yeah, I think the only thing that stopped them. In 2001, if I'm not mistaken, was Viacom. Yeah, they said. Yeah. Viacom said, "No, you're, you're not yeah. putting those trademarks with the stench of, of the reputation that that company has on TV. We're, we're not paying you for something that, in the marketplace, has the perception of being, you know, a B team at best." And I think talking about WCW in that context of 2001, saying B team is very generous. I, I actually think in a kind of slightest way as well I think uh, this was basically the only answer they could come up with uh, for ending how to end the Ric Flair Vince McMahon feud I know it sounds like stupid but it's just like I think they were generally like because it was like a, the, it, that was all over television like these two button heads you know it's the whole reason for bringing the NWO in I think they were just looking like shit okay so the NWO isn't quite working out or you know whether it's a, that's according to plan or whatever it's like how do we actually end this because if we don't do something like this then the end storyline is that basically Ric Flair and his band of merry men are going to go up against the, the, the NWO whatever version it is that they're going to morph into and how many more people they bring in where's Virgil's number you know and just so on and then it's going to basically end with them being NWO which essentially means is that Vince loses at the end because he's the guy that brings him in so and you know Vince doesn't really like to lose especially if it's going to be against someone like Flair he'll lose to Austin but he won't lose to Flair and so I think it was basically just generally like brainstorming like okay guys and it sounds very familiar to uh, you know uh, storylines going forwards from this year it says how do we get ourselves out of this how do we retcon ourselves out of this and he goes I know why do we do it where we just do the brand split we have Vince on one show the NWO on the other so there's no association anywhere and just and just and just let the NWO slowly die away (laughs) so people forget about it and until the end where people will eventually forget that Ric Flair was feuding with Austin uh, uh, Ric Flair was feuding with Vince McMahon at all and guess what in a few months time in a few months time you do it's uh, yeah it's to me like you said it's it's part of doesn't this the whole thing as, as it did in 1998 smells get a whiff of the Bischoff concept of hiring every top star that you can to create these two shows I think it's yes and no knowing that they got all these extra guys well it was 24 guys um, 25 DDP for, w, for the WCW show so they, they've inflated the roster consciously to split them anyway mm-hmm. that was that was the idea from the start so it's not a, a new concept we get to Wrestlemania 18 and it's a fucking mess your mid card is just swimming in oblivion might as well not be though give a fuck or feuding with like let me say Regal and Van Damme Van Damme should have been like 
at least semi-main event of a yeah. of a brand. So you, you, you got this expanded roster, and it's it's just a natural thing to do in content. It's an interesting thing, but again, conception. If you've got all these WCW guys, you've got WCW figureheads. Put them all. Give, give Flair SmackDown. Stick all the old WCW guy or the, 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 most of that roster onto one show, and with the NWO. So at least you've got in theory something that's popular, and you got you might have this inverted NWO's face thing. It might be a fucked up show, but it's like you've got two authentic brands. Then that's the thing. You've got two brands, not just two names. It's just there's a difference between brands and shows. These weren't brands; they were just shows. Yeah, and it's like. So give them a proper right, give them their own identity. Make it WCW. That's what you wanted to do anyway. So yeah. just, just fucking do it. <laughs> just do it under the name SmackDown. It doesn't matter. It's exactly the same thing. But given the talent that's on there, the hope and hopefully the old WCW guys, the fans who've disappeared, might gravitate towards it. Surely that is that's the goal of starting the WCW <laughs> brand is to attract the old WCW fans. So give them that fucking show. Do it instead of just watering it down to get two fucking. Watery shows, watery piss, watery beer, <laughs> watery beer. Now, it was sort of that conception. Execution was hilarious. We talked about this a little bit on our Raw uh, Top Twenty Five moments of all time. The draft show itself, and there's some of the, the more humorous elements of the War Room and Kurt Angle pleading his case. But just like I'm like again watching this show as it happened, well, not as it happened, but like as we get it on the Friday or whatever over here, and just the. The lack of continuity just slaps you in the face. Like on the on the the SmackDown previous, Undertaker went up to Ric Flair and said, "I hope you pick me in the draft because I want to be on the same show with you so I can make your life a living hell." Yeah. Ric Flair's first pick is the Undertaker, and he freaks out and he gets pissed off and he goes up to Vince and asks why he wasn't picked. No, he said no. He doesn't actually say. He doesn't say Vince why wasn't I picked by him. He said he goes. He storms into Vince's he office says and he says, happen. "You promised me that this would not happen." That's what he said to him. Yeah, not great. that Vince would pick him, but he said, "You promised me that Flair would not pick me." And then so, Flair drafts the NWO, <laughs> which is yeah. like, why in the you, fuck you, you is going love, on? You gotta love those first three picks. Of the oh inside God! Like you just got like Flair, who is you got, you got Vince, who's picked the Rock. Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit who's returning soon right and then Ric Flair picks The Undertaker NWO Kane. and Kane and you're just uh, sitting there going wow they really made Ric Flair look like a fucking idiot here it's just like, like this show sounds terrible there's just this great moment like, or maybe it's well, just me let's, just, uh, let's not, not gloss over the NWO drafted as a collective as yeah, well yeah, yeah. Well, the other teams, the Dudleys and the APA, get yeah. broken up. Didn't they get yeah. bit? Didn't they beat up Hogan? Well, didn't Rock save him the night before as well? Or... Yeah, yeah. Oh no, yeah. So Hogan basically gets canned out the NWO. X Pac comes in. Oh, yeah. that's Sorry. it. Yes, yeah. Pac comes in. Yeah, he's he's the, he's the new top star that they're. Yeah. And that's the other thing too that actually I meant to mention some time ago actually, but we kind of there's so much to talk about. It really felt like there was like a this need for new stars around this time. It felt like even though you had all this great top talent with like Austin Rock Triple H. It all it all felt like God. We need someone to break through. We really need like it's something new and fresh and like that. Not from a main event standpoint, but when they're bringing back Val Venus and Godfather, and they're bringing these guys back, and it's just like fuck me. Even in the mid card, they need something new. It's just like just completely from top to bottom. It's like they need something new. It's, it's it's almost as if they they just wish they had bought another company the year before, which had new talent in it, and maybe pushed them oh, well. to use them. But never mind. Never mind. Never mind. But yeah, uh, Brock Lesnar does uh, again. F.I.'s Rikishi and looks awesome, and they they fight over him, which is great. 
Um, somewhere in this, Mark Henry gets drafted after, after being yeah. nowhere. Big Show gets drafted. Yeah. Rikishi gets Mark, drafted. Mark, Mark Henry returns like two weeks beforehand to race to the crowd, and that's his, his reintroduction from I don't know where he was. Yeah. <laughs> but the thing is, because now for me, because I, vote, I, I, I voted this show quite highly in my uh, raw things, and I stand by it because even though it's mostly nostalgia from it through the general intrigue of what was going to happen, and I think. Uh, for the, for the most part for the, well the first half uh, it was solid outside of the the, the blatant um, plot hole of uh, Ric Flair's picking like people who he, he, he the moments before he didn't want to deal with anymore he didn't want to deal with Undertaker anymore and he didn't want to deal with the NWO and yet they're his first two picks and then also just very subtly maybe I'm reading too much into it watch John Anderson's face as he announced Kane's his third pick but it's just uh, yeah I mean the first half of the show was like like solid and stuff when you go like with the rock and rock does like a good promo and stuff and like you are an yeah. asshole yeah and like Kurt Angle's there in the war room with him and stuff and there's entertainment stuff there and um, you know your Brock, Brock Lesnar looks awesome and a bit where they're going back and forth where Vince tries to gazump him on him and just saying like oh well you have the next two and Rick's they're bickering but it then quickly descends very very quickly descends like after like they've drafted Rob Van Dam and Billy and Chuck you know the, you know, the strength of the, the mid card division there uh, and it's, it's that exact moment when he turns around and says okay I'll have Rikishi oh well I'll have Big Show oh well I'll have um, Mark Henry and it's like oh well you know I'll have Lita you know and they're just going back and forth most of Triple like, A had yeah and it was just, <laughs> and, it was just yeah, and it was just like ah oh, fucking hell like towards the end it's just like they are completely completely fucking like losing this so, you know they split up the Dudley boys for for like no apparent reason and it's just these just these weird little moments here and there that don't work you know that okay I think they do draft like Edge as well and so on but like a lot of people kind of go by the wayside and it does just t turn into what was initially like an interesting concept and starts off as an interesting concept and how they're actually like executing it you know like who they're picking and why and whatever how they're trying to counteract each other Blatantly, like after that point when you start hitting the, the Rikishi's being mentioned in a fucking ten-man draft, uh, you're you basically the whole show's just descended into the Vince and Ric Flair storyline, and not the actual concept of we are splitting the brands up. This is an important event. It's just basically even that important event is just whittled down to one thing, which is Vince, Vince, Vince. It's just the Vince McMahon show all and over again, and it's just like, oh, what? Oh, I gotta get one over on Rick, and it's like that. But that wasn't the point of the storyline. Right. The point of the storyline was that you're, you're doing this brand split to to separate yourselves. This is the whole point of it. It's not to draw you back into each other, so you start facing each other. Because Ric Flair obviously disbanded from feuding with Vince because he was working with Undertaker. This isn't a way to bring you two back into each other. This is a way to separate you. This is your fucking retcon of everything, so you can move forwards. And yet the whole show just basically de just devolves to like. Continuing that, yeah, yeah, continuing that. I see what you're saying. I think that, um, you know, it's it's, it's given the way. I mean, again, it felt so bad. I mean, around this time, I remember having like really strong feelings. Like, God damn it, they're really fucking this up with Van Dam. Like, I was all on the Van Dam oh gravy yeah. train at this point. Yeah. Like, man, they should have made him the number one draft pick on Raw or something like that. They, they really should. They could use this as a mechanism. Well, that, that was that, that was that was the other thing that was just so bad. Like with like you know, Vince is looking like quite smart because he's picking baby faces and heels. He's going back and forth. He's creating this great roster that's going to go forward. Like 
freaking like his two freaking draft but Ric Flair's first two draft picks are heels he just gets four heels right off the fucking bat and then he's thinking right I need a baby face now Kane. and Vince, he goes Kane he probably watched Mania and thought fuck this, this show's got no heels so I'm gonna, I'm gonna pick four yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, this has got none now <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it was uh, it was just it was, it was it was a rocky execution, and I just remember thinking again coming out. It's like I know what this shows, what these shows are going to be, and the other thing too, obviously, like you say, Vince, 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 Steph, Steph, Steph was all over the fucking shows. It felt like during this point, I think she has a, she was even wrestling in the main event for the for the title, which was concerning. Wait till this year's WrestleMania. Yeah, <laughs> evil of evolution, everybody. Uh, but yeah, so it, it, that's kind of where we end off with the quarter is is on the execution of the draft and and kind of moving into this new era of Raw versus SmackDown, where I'm not excited for Raw particularly. SmackDown looks like a hell of a show, but no one's come out of this draft. The only the only minimal bit of intrigue is like, wow, they drafted Benoit pretty high. That's pretty cool. Maybe they'll be serious yeah. about him when he comes back. So uh, we'll see how that kind of goes as the uh, as the timeline goes also, on. Also, this like Raw, the, the Raw that proceeds on that uh, that last week is uh, is actually the last time we hear the classic uh, Raw theme tune as well. Right. They change they change everything there the following week. Oh yeah. Things just got better, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> Moving now to uh, some of the, uh, the thoughts and the feedback wrapping up this. Talking about the brand extension and the execution of it. Uh, Punk Step on the UK fan form says, I was really excited about the brand extension. It seemed like a really clever and innovative concept at the time, and I like the idea of travelling champions appearing on both shows and creating feuds on each brand. Of course, that didn't last long, and we then had the confusion as to who was the top champion in WWE for the next 10 years. I can't remember much about it at the time, but I think too much was done on their website rather than really going for it on the TV show. Uh, by this point all I cared about was seeing where Brock Lesnar was going to end up and who's going to kill on that show uh, everything else in WWE became a secondary interest after his debut uh, Harmonic Generator on the UK fan form also says I was excited I'd never seen or heard of anything like this before and it created the last glimmers of anticipation among the few of us at school who still watch wrestling speculating on who might end up on Raw and who might end up on Smackdown um, when the draft happened I kept a list of who was on each show and would update it as people moved between them I think that's at the stage of the only original draft left on Smackdown was Funaki <laughs> and those first few weeks and months were exciting and felt like a new show uh, obviously we'll be coming to that uh, on the next episode of the timeline um, Slicky Tricky Damon on TPWW says it felt like it would have been a good way to get more people on TV they changed too much of it around at the start uh, split pay-per-views was the only real problem I had with it except for the two world titles which again We'll come to Big Vic on the TPWW forum says the brand extension was a necessity at the time so many big names were around you had Hogan The Rock Tommy Dreamer Stone Cold and many others who the fuck's this <laughs> Big Vic on the TPWW forum that's been noted <laughs> he's been running this angle for a couple of years now I think I'm, 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 not, I'm not sure if he fluctuates between Dreamer and Kane to piss us both off. Or if there's someone else who does the Kane one, <laughs> it's kind of funny. The very moment that the brand split actually happens, Tommy Dreamer is instantly back on the main roster again. There it is. Hadn't been seen for months. Instantly, <laughs> as soon as they divide him up, I find Tommy's it, on the show. Given his size, I find it hard to believe that Tommy Dreamer went months without being cited. <laughs> Piper's Pit on WrestlingForum.com says was pleased about the draft when it was announced the roster was just so stacked by that point it had to happen you had guys like Lesnar Angle in their prime veterans like Taker Kane Flair Hogan Triple H plus all of the WCW and the ECW rosters ok Johnny B. Good uh, wraps us up on the UK fan forum says I didn't like the brand extension when it was announced I had my favourites and I liked being able to sit down every week and watch them rather than have to cut across two shows with a lot of dross to fill it out uh, felt they would have been higher uh, sorry felt they would have been better having a big cull or to send some gimmicks 
down to developmental to, for some time to develop. I thought the original draft show was pretty well done, and Vince and Flair played off each other uh, pretty well, but some of the pictures didn't make sense, and it was perhaps the only time that uh, Raw came out on the short end of the stick. <laughs> Probably because it didn't have Vince's involvement, he says. But uh, that kind of does wrap us up for the, uh, the first quarter. We move into the second quarter of 2002. Again, not really knowing what we're in for. The first, the first you know, new Raw, new SmackDown, new Coke uh, is, is coming next week. Uh, so yeah, again, I, it's just this, this weird landscape where for the last three months they've been throwing shit at the wall. It feels like such a panic fire fever dream of just, all right, let's just get through this period because we have nothing. And we're going to be able to create a new story from scratch by doing this split. Is that kind of the feeling that you have? All, all I would say really is that the early signs for 2002 are ominous. <laughs> Gee? I'm still uh, waiting to find out who Austin signs with, whether it's uh, Raw or SmackDown. Um, uh, I just think. I think that was the creative. Yeah, pretty much. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah, let's just do this. Yeah, let's do that split thing anyway. <laughs> I just think it's, it was. It was. I think it was inevitable. They were. I don't want to repeat myself. Um, but well, the, the roster was bloated from the original, the first plan, which then quickly got shit canned. Um, expanded even more, and it was. I think it's inevitable they were going to go to the split eventually, mm. one way or the other. Um, they had to. It, they had to, but it just as with most things, they just couldn't. They it was organised horribly um, <laughs> without any foresight direction or real plan yeah and he's still got no heels so <laughs> doesn't matter <laughs> that pretty much leaves us off for, the, for, for January, February and March of 2002 very interesting period of time to look at uh, but of course the next time we do this the, the by the quarter we're looking at April to June which has got some uh, very very curious high points including the early days of the Raw Smackdown split Steve Austin leaving completely and uh, and uh, and then the, the beginning of the rise of Brock Lesnar to being uh, one of the top top guys in the company. Yeah, so, the yeah, indeed. So it's going to be uh, very very interesting to talk about as we get into the second quarter. Uh, I want to thank everybody for all the contributions, and I want to thank everybody for listening. For Carl Jones. Well, that was three months that it was, folks. <laughs> for G John Chase. Mr. Perfect was awesome in the Rumble, by the way. That's fantastic. Final three. And for Kieran O'Rourke. I am Liam O'Rourke and we are out of here. Talk to you next week.